This is the most marketable corporate-sponsored sports entertainer of our or any generation, the hashtag feminist icon, E-F-F-Y-F-E. And you're listening to the only wrestling podcast that calls it right down the middle, The Whole Reffin Show. And now, the wrestling podcast that calls it right down the middle... The Whole Reffin Show. Yowie, wowie, hashtag dear listeners. Welcome back to The Whole Reffin Show. The only wrestling podcast that calls it right down the middle. And it's episode 134. Don't call it 13-4, because <laughs> it's... It's 134, and I am one half of this team, this dream team that calls it right down the middle, and I'm Darren Beasley. The other half of this dream team, of course, is Perry Smith, the other half of the dream team, of course. And that's you, Perry. We are we are a dream team, Darren. You know who's calling us that, don't you? We are. <laughs> we are. On our own podcast, no less. And uh, but do, do we wait, do we know if if Jordan and Bird and Magic Johnson did they refer to themselves as the dream team, or was it just understood that they were the dream team? Uh I I don't know. That's an entry. I think they did. Yeah, I who, mean, who, everybody did. Who called them that? I mean, they were the dream team, and rightly so. But did they go, man, we're the dream team, or did they wait for others to be like, man, they're the dream team? That's my question. Now, I think McDonald's is the one who dubbed them the dream team. <laughs> well, there, there weren't cups for the first dream team, Darren. We all Don't... know we all know the saga of the dream team two McDonald's cups and how it was my life mission, for whatever reason, to collect, I believe, all 16 dream team two cups. Uh, but Dream Team 2 was no Dream Team 1. No, that's true, but they, they were pretty amazing, and they, they devastated, but man, uh, you had the Dan Marley Cup. I think this has been referenced once on the show. You <laughs> had, you just had it. You, in, in your cupboard full of cups, for some reason, <laughs> you had kept the Dan Marley Cup, and it was one of the two cups left that I needed, and I had to, like, barter with the devil to get your Dan Marley cup. And for some reason, you were like, oh, what are you going to give me? It's a fucking... I can replace it so easily with any other cup. But for some reason, you were like, oh, you want this. Now it's valuable. Well, exactly. Well, you, I, mean, I don't even have to repeat that. You said it yourself. You made it valuable. I'd have probably just given it to you. And so <laughs> you won. But you wanted it too much, and therefore... You handed me leverage. You handed me the lever of leverage, and I yanked on it. And what did I get out of that? Do you even remember? I don't recall what it was, but I'm sure I had to give you something for it. I maybe even had to – I gave you probably some comic books, or I gave you some money for it. Or, like, I'm sure there was something – see, we entered this whole new level of bartering, which I I come from a family of pawnbrokers, for those who don't know that. My mom owns a pawn shop. My aunt owns a pawn shop. Um, and you enter this territory that I like to call, it's not what it's worth, it's what it's worth to you, which can sure. be a very dangerous uh, bartering chip. Uh, well, see, even not coming from that pawn brokerage uh, background, 
I was well-equipped as well because my father had told me the same advice because I'd pretty much been a collector of things my whole life. Sure. Baseball cards, football cards, uh, comic book cards, then comic books, and just everything. And I always, you know, I was eight or nine years old and I would get a new issue of Spectacular Spider-Man and be all excited and tell my dad how much it was going to be worth one day. And he would say, son... It's only worth what somebody will pay you for it. Precisely. Precisely. And so, like, you know, I, I understood that language. So, for my Dan Marley Dream Team <laughs> 2 McDonald's commemorative cup, which I'm sure, if you still have it, is completely dry-rotted by now. I, I don't know what happened to those cups. They they got lost somewhere. I don't know. I, I think I went, why do I have these? And threw them all away. Well, I probably have... The issue, like the early issue of X Factor, like X Factor number six or seven, that you probably traded me for it. Probably, or yeah. or you traded me a couple of hot dogs <laughs> for X Force number no no for for New Mutants number one hundred. <laughs> yes, you may recall, Darren. I'm sure you do. You just referenced it that I once traded my cousin John Bring, a friend of the show, uh, X Force one hundred. For no, mutants, one hundred. Oh, no, that's right. Yeah, which became X Force. Yes, but <laughs> I, tra- I traded him New Mutants number one hundred for him to just go make me a couple of hot dogs. <laughs> hey, Darren, who's laughing now? Who's laughing now? I am actually. I'm okay. laughing right uh, now. Just you. Okay. So anyway, uh, welcome to oh, our show wow. once again, folks. This is uh, the whole Ref and Show, the only wrestling podcast that calls it right down the middle, and uh, we talk about wrestling on occasion. Darren, though. Uh, you may have heard recently on another podcast, speaking of uh, good friend and good cousin of the show, uh, John Bring, he has a podcast called uh, Here's Why It's Great. Darren Beasley recently featured on the latest episode, or as of this being recorded, this latest episode, where Darren and John discuss Super Mario Brothers, not Super Mario Bros. It's the Understood Brothers. I am I am a third of the way through it, Darren. I, I don't want any spoilers from you, uh, but I, I am enjoying uh, I'm enjoying it so far, especially because you're going to get some insight, folks. If you're if you're a, a fan of this show, if you like Darren and myself or one of us and not the other, whatever, uh, you get a bit more insight into our childhood shenanigans. Uh, a lot of talk about the old stuff that we used to do when we were kids and tweens or whatever. Uh, so it, it is It is entertaining as far as that goes. And if you're a big fan of Super Mario Brothers, the movie, <laughs> both of you, the one or two listeners out there, uh, you might enjoy what these two folks have to say about that. It's very entertaining. Very entertaining. Well, thank you. I'm glad that you enjoyed it. Or I, I'm glad that you have enjoyed a third of it. So far, I yes. Ho- <laughs> I hope that you can enjoy the uh, other two-thirds. It was... Uh, it's a long listen uh, to those... Uh, veterans, those hashtag dear listeners of the whole Reffin show, it's not a long episode. It is nothing they should be surprised about. But I think that here's why it's great listeners might have gone to download the new episode and thought, <laughs> holy shit, what has happened to our beloved 54-minute podcast? It's now three hours. Yep. But that's what happens when you have Darren Beasley on your podcast. I am a chatty, I'm a chatty Darren. You and, are. You uh, are. And you're you're in control of your own string, so you get to keep pulling it to keep going and keep going. No, you are you are the great uh, yes planes, trains, and automobiles reference there. 
Um, yes, you, uh, you are a great pontificator, Darren, and people love to hear what you have to say. Uh, so some episodes go long, but that, that one definitely uh, seems to be on the long side. I'm about 30 minutes in, and you guys have barely even talked about the movie, which is great. I, I love it all, because it's a trip down memory lane. But anyway, uh, folks, so check that out. Check out Darren on uh, Here's Why It's Great Podcast. Uh, but if you're here checking us out, we appreciate you. Uh, we got lots of headlines, Darren. The Raw reunion took place this past Monday. Uh, we want to talk a little bit about that. It was uh, quite the occasion. A lot of people loved it. A lot of people hated it. Uh, we got some news about one particular WWE superstar, Jimmy Uso, uh, in trouble with the law once again. Uh, when will his kind ever learn, Darren? Ooh, <laughs> who are his kind? <laughs> I don't know. Uh, lawbreakers, I guess. U- U- Usos? Us? The Uses. I-, I love that their their gimmick is like the, the Uso penitentiary, and they- they've spent so much time and incarcerated lately uh really they're gonna actually get an actual penitentiary named after them one day you you may the last time we talked about jimmy uso having a dui which was only a few months ago you made some kind of joke about uh the the uso penitentiary that made me laugh i'll have to go back and find it because i'm reminded (laughs) that you made me laugh with a joke about that uh we want to talk about the evolve show that was on the wwe network it was a lot of fun uh, saw a lot of talented folks compete at that one. We're going to talk about that. Uh, also, AEW Fight for the Fallen took place on the same night. You may recall AEW personnel not too happy about the placement of the Evolve show, but eh, that's how it goes here in the world of wrestling. Uh, we're going to talk about AEW, including AEW's uh, TV show, their weekly proper show, officially has a, uh, a start date, and uh, we now know what night it's going to come on. We're going to talk about that. Also, our favorite indie fed, Fest Wrestling. They're back this weekend, finally, uh, for another Christmas in July. Christmas in July 3, Darren. That is right. And boy, finally is the key word here. I am so starved for Fest. It's it's Fest or Famine. Oh, <laughs> nice. Very, and very nice. Been, uh, a long, hot summer here in the South. South Georgia, North Florida, in desperate need of some relief. And I really wish it would be Christmas weather. I wish we could have some snow in Hogtown to ring in this occasion where independent wrestling is back. The very best in independent wrestling is back. It's in a ring. It's at eight seconds. It's in Gainesville, Florida. I'm excited about it. I'm ready to be there. And uh, I'm excited about this card. As well you should be. There's a lot of really good uh, returning Fest favorites and some new faces as well. Uh, quite a few matches I'm looking forward to, actually, on that one. We're going to get into it in a bit. We also have to talk about WWE's latest PPV slash network exclusive, Extreme Rules, which actually was pretty good. It was a crowd pleaser as far as I know. I haven't heard too many complaints about it. It was far from extreme, but it was very good. Sure, I- sure. I actually was pleased with this show, and uh, I'm ready to talk about it. Um, we're, you know, we're a week behind. Um, I was out of town. Now, one uh, a dear listener might say, "Well, aren't you always technically out of town from where Perry is?" Uh, the two of you are not in the same town. You already record via Skype, via satellite, as it were. And uh, yes, that is true. However, I was in a situation attending uh, the. Uh, annual AP Teachers Conference in Orlando, Florida, 
And as a result, I found myself uh, busy all day and all night uh, throughout the, uh, the the tenure of that conference. And we just weren't able to make it onto the airwaves last week. And that is why we are addressing some of these topics, which are several days old, because they need the recounting. They need the telling. They need the hashtag Wrestle News and Wrestle Views approach. And uh, this is the only wrestling podcast that calls it right down the middle. So that's why you're here. That's right. Between Evolve, AEW, and Extreme Rules, a little bit of catching up to do on this episode, but a little bit of looking forward to Fest Wrestling as well. Uh, it's going to have a whole lot of wrestling, wrestle talk, hashtag wrestle talk, hashtag wrestle views. And uh, let's get into it right now with some of them. Headlines. The Raw Reunion came to you and me and all of us live from Tampa, Florida just this past Monday. A Raw Reunion, a family reunion as it were, welcoming superstars as they purported from the past 30 years all together, all in one place, one big happy family here to celebrate the history of Raw and and all points in between. I I don't know that it exactly was that. Um, First of all, well, I mean, first of all, I mean, I think you would agree that first of all, so many of those early, early raw superstars are no longer with us. People like the Macho Man Randy Savage and um, Bobby the Brain Heenan. And a lot of that original feel are people they're just not going to bring back. Like, Edge and Christian show will bring back Sean Mooney, but, you know, I don't think Vince and friends are necessarily that ready to have Mooney on Raw. You know, we also, we no longer have with us mean Gene Okerlund. Uh, You got Paul Heyman there on Raw, but what about all those ECW originals that used to invade? They're not there. Uh, I don't know. It, It felt a little weird. You know, there's, you know, there's no Sid there's no Vader, there's no Yokozuna, there's no uh, there's no hearts at all, you know, and unfortunately, it's because most of them have passed away, but there's no, where's Brett? So there's a whole lot of reunion going on with a whole lot of people left out. Yeah, also, I mean, a lot of, a lot of the wrestling history that exists with, like, ECW and the people from, like, WCW Nitro... You can have all that stuff happen on Raw and rehash it on Raw, but it didn't actually happen on Raw. So it's all like inherited wrestling nostalgia, which never really sits right with me. You know what I mean? Like having the... the cl- I know what you mean with that. Like, like, like having the club together is kind of like, well, that's neat, but the, the Bullet Club, you didn't do that, Vince. Like that, That's not your baby. You know what I mean? NWO was awesome. That wasn't your fucking idea, Vince. Guess what? You get to sell the t-shirts now, but that wasn't your idea. Stuff like that never sits uh, well with me. Also, anyone who WWF lets go of, and that's fine, it's a business, but if they go and make money for another organization, all of a sudden, they're, they're out. Fuck those guys. You know what I mean? Like it's, it's, it's so fucked up. So whenever you have a reunion, you know it's under very, very constrained uh, uh, you know, reasons. Uh, RVD, though, coming out for this Raw reunion, very interesting considering he just made a return to Impact Wrestling. Right, and apparently Impact is in on the deal. 
they they made it so that it was like totally legitimate. So like that one's very strange to me because it's like, well, there he is. And to me, RVD is an important part of WWE history. But you really had they really had to go out of their way and get permission from another company and run the incredible risk of having somebody go, hey, you didn't have the guy from Impact now. I want to watch Impact more. You know? Sure. Like, you're going to go to those great lengths to have RVD, but where the fuck is The Undertaker? Like, all, like, they, they, they're just, they've really had The Undertaker, they're just trotting The Undertaker out for any old show in 2019, <laughs> but he's not at the Raw reunion show? I just love when you use the, the, the term uh, trot him out. Like, he's a, like he's a, a show pony. He's a Clydesdale. He, well, yeah. he is. That's all exactly right. what he is. Basically, you have him walk down the runway and just do a little twirl. All right, come back, Undertaker. Come back. <laughs> you know, but you're um, not right. But you're not going to do that at the Raw reunion show. Um, also, if this is supposed to be like you know, absolute superstars from the past, and in some ways it is, Stone Cold because you cannot shake a stick at Stone Cold Steve Austin, Hulk Hogan, and Ric Flair. You can't. That's amazing. And seeing Hall and Nash together, although they combined said zero words, um, when they're two of the best mic workers ever, and they don't even get to talk. They let only the road dog talk. Hey, he's an excellent mic worker, but only he. T- I understand not giving X Pac the microphone, but how are you going <laughs> to get Hall and Nash? Take that, X Pac. I mean, Hall and Nash need their own segment. They didn't need to come out to be like DX's Dingleberries, like. Yeah. Look how old these guys got is kind of what <laughs> Hall and Nash are now. Meanwhile, it's an absolute cry, crying shame that, that that Ron Simmons has been, like, devalued to a single word. And it's not even cute or funny or interesting anymore. That they're going to put a, Ron Simmons on a flight and they're going to work him into a segment and he's going to come out and he's going to wear a shirt that says damn and he's going to say the word damn. And then he's going to collect a paycheck, get on an airplane, and go back. No, you're absolutely right about that. It's criminal. Ron Simmons was a huge star, uh, especially back in WCW, becoming the first black WCW heavyweight champion, which was a huge deal, especially under the regime of one Bill Watts, famously fired for uh, racist remarks made about a certain uh, baseball Hall of Famer. Um, Yeah, and him being reduced to just the damn joke, it's kind of like what I, I, I think I tweeted this a long time ago. Like, my fear, my greatest fear is that one day Paul Newman will only be known for salad dressing. Oh, yeah. And that, that's, kind of, that's kind of where it's at. Um, so you know, There's also the weirdness of, okay, we got Christian, but no Edge. Like, they brought Santino back like he was the Iron Sheik or Bob Backlund. Like, I like Santino. But Santino is the kind of guy you bring back if there's, like, 50 more people on this show. But when it's like, hey, we brought back, like, the 25 most – we brought back the 25 most influential people in Raw history, like Santino and Candice Michelle. What? Yeah. Also, anybody involved in that 24-7 uh, storyline and 24-7 title exchange on Monday, if I'm Candice Michelle – I'm asking for a, a boatload of money for that appearance. Because she not only made an appearance, she captured and lost a championship 
on live television on the longest running episodic show in television history. Uh, I hope that was a handsome payday for her. And I hope that WWE is rethinking why do we keep inviting Candice Michelle to these <laughs> events? <laughs> hey, she may be a lovely person, and uh, but what it? I'm, I mean, same for Kelly Kelly, um, and honestly, the same for Medusa. Uh, like Alundra Blaze is a Hall of Famer now, but Alundra Blaze fits into that category of what you said. The majority of her worthwhile career happened in WCW. Sure. Lundra Blaze is not a key part of Raw history. Right. I, Again, I it's, 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 more of that, it's more of that inherited wrestling history. It's kind of like what you said about the ESPYs, where it's like, it's not the greatest wrestling moment of the year, which, you know, all wrestling would somehow be nominated. It's the greatest WWE moment, because that's the only wrestling they acknowledge uh, and so it, it it is what it is. It, it is a it is a it is a, a what is it a horse and pony show? I, I don't know. Where you basically bring out remember this famous person, remember this famous person, and that's kind of all it is. It's it's not all encompassing. But if it happened anywhere, uh, maybe you'll forget that it didn't happen on Raw. But we're gonna make money off of it happening somewhere else. Kind of a deal. Does that make sense? It does make sense. Um, and then, of course, uh, you, you also have the problem of, like, old guys going over on the new guys. I mean, I, like I said, I am hardcore, lifelong fan of Hall and Nash. I am NWO for life. Well, they say but, when you're NWO, Darren, you're NWO for life. So. Well, they said it, and it's, it's actually true. Okay. But, like... Those five dudes, like DX and NWO, like those dudes hobbling around should not have the upper hand on Gallows and Anderson and AJ Styles. I mean, they just, they really shouldn't. And instead, uh, the one thing you did, they, they did do right in that respect was having the fiend Bray Wyatt uh, take out Mick Foley. Now that was, that's how you do it. That's why you bring in an old timer to put over uh, the the uh, the new guy, and especially worked well um, when you're talking about the ooky spooky, uh, you know, history of Mick Foley and the original version of Mankind, sort of being taken taken out by a new version, which is the fiend Bray Wyatt. So that was a really good segment. You make a good point then, right there. Actually, I, I didn't really, I didn't really connect those dots until you just said all that you just said. Like Ray White totally is the new Mick Foley with multiple personalities and all. Like it really, the, the beard helps too. Uh, <laughs> so yeah, I mean, I, I didn't really think about that. Maybe it's it's kind of a torch passing uh, thing that happened on Raw for the most part. I kind of think it was. Yeah, I didn't. I wasn't looking for that, and so I didn't quite notice it, even though it's kind of plain as day. But uh, yeah, that's interesting <laughs> that you say it that way. Yeah, so I think that in the end, the, the segments that were most worthwhile were Steve Austin at the very end, sort of leading the charge while everybody else stood around on stage, and you know, Ric Flair did a really hilarious dance while Hulk Hogan's music played. Um, Hulk Hogan, bless his heart. I mean, like he he looks like a uh, like a beaten dog like he i mean he's got 
he's got the bags under his eyes. He's got the big, sad, droopy eyes. And, you know, we know that, like, he's taken a hellacious beating, uh, much of which is well-deserved sure. for his, for his uh, very, very poor choice of words. And if there's actual hate and vitriol behind it, then that's even worse. But regardless uh, of, the, of the level uh, of his misdeed, He's paid a price for it, and uh, and he's, also, he's just not a young man anymore. He's 66 years old, and he's coming out, and he's trying to still be, you know, all that is man, and, you know, Hulkamania running wild and 24-inch pythons, and, you know, he, he pulls it off pretty well, but at the same time, he looks a little sad. But overall, Austin in the ring with his, uh, with his actual beer, he didn't have Steve Weisers, he didn't have Miller Lights, he had the whatever it's the... What is his IPA called? The Broken Skull or? Sure. There's a Broken Skull IPA. And I'm going to drink Steve Austin. I'm going to get in the ring. And I thought that Steve Austin, I thought that whole bit was actually the most sincere I've ever seen Austin on the air. And that's from years of listening to his podcast where he gets very sincere, almost even choked up sometimes but then turns right around and appears on Raw and is like, DTA, DTA. Right. Well, I was going to say, I think that's kind of himself realizing how, how how good it feels to actually be honest on his own podcast. And then when it comes to the ring, now that people have heard him be outspoken about WWE and wrestling in general, people know the difference pretty quickly. You know, if he's, if he's just saying... He's saying what Vince would rather him say or if he's speaking from the heart. So, good for him. And then, of course, the other most interesting segment was the unannounced return of John Cena to open up Raw, in which he told the he told the Usos, uh, "Hey, you guys look just like your mugshots." <laughs> fortune teller, uh, <laughs> fortune teller, John Cena. Oh, John Cena, you are a prophet. Thou art the prophesier, because in only thirty six or forty eight hours. John Uso, Jonathan Fatu, a.k.a. Jimmy Uso uh, in the WWE, was arrested for the second time in 2019 for a DUI. Perry, I believe you have far more details on this than I do. That's, I mean, that's kind of it. I mean, he, uh, I I believe he was taken in. He refused uh, the DUI uh, test the officer was going to give him. Um, apparently he reeked of alcohol. It's weird because reading this story, half of it sounds exactly like the last time he got busted for DUI, uh, reeking of alcohol and just kind of being um, <laughs> angry and upset. But I mean, this time at least he didn't quote square off against the officer, which was <laughs> nice. Um, no, I mean, we, we can make jokes about this, but the sad truth is when you drive drunk, you put your own life in your hands, and you put other people's lives uh, in your hands. You endanger other people. Um, so that's not cool. Don't do that. And this guy obviously has a problem that this is the second time this year. And we're only halfway through this year, Darren, uh, that he's been busted for it. So, uh, again, I'm not going to make jokes. J- Jimmy Uso, you know, Jonathan Fatu, get help. You need it. Uh, and that's it for me. <laughs> oh, well, no, I'm with, I'm with you. The only thing that I would add is not only is he putting his own life on the line and the lives of absolutely anyone and everyone that is sharing the road with him, 
But is his wife Trinity in the car with him? If she is, her life is in just as much imminent, immediate danger, or is she not, and you know, and is she not driving because he's demanding to drive and she's sober, or is she equally as intoxicated? If so, she's just as much to blame. The two of them need to call an Uber or they need to get, I don't know, his twin brother or their cousin Tamina. They all travel together and live near one another and hang out all the time. Somebody's got to be sober. And if they're not, again, call an Uber, call a Lyft, call a taxi, call another friend. Stay your ass still, eat a sandwich and sober up. Take a bicycle, go for a walk, do anything. And if they're, And if the reality is... They're all drunk all the time, enough that he's gotten arrested twice in less than a year for a DUI. Then talk about getting help. Maybe they all need to get help. Sure, absolutely. Um, what you said is very, uh, very accurate and uh, very, <laughs> very serious. But I thought of a joke while you said <laughs> yeah, it. I guess that's why you're laughing. Uh, I thought of a joke while you said it. They could pull <laughs> some of that heel tag team maneuvering in the car. You know, if Jimmy's drunk and he gets pulled over, you know, Jay Uso can they can switch real quick. <laughs> the sober one can switch. It's twin magic. Oh my it's God. twin magic. Okay, one joke. Fine, moving on. Uh, Jimmy, get help, uh, and we'll stop there. Uh, the future of NXT, which uh, are the future stars of WWE, uh, looks pretty bright. After that Evolve show that we saw on the WWE Network, uh, which was great for a lot of these guys uh, and gals because they got some really good exposure and really good uh, advertising uh, from WWE. Um, WWE, of course, put a lot of advertising into this. As far as like Facebook presence, uh, having uh, WWE, current WWE superstars uh, tell their tales of working in Evolve. They really built the show up, and again, having it on the network, you're going to get a lot more eyes on it than if it's not televised at all, or you know, televised somewhere, or like 40 bucks to watch somewhere else. So, good for them. Uh, the Evolve show was great. Like I said, these wrestlers wrestled as if there were millions more eyes on the product than there would be. And there may have been. Sure. Uh, you know, Evolve... They, they've numbered their shows similarly to UFC. So this technically was Evolve 131. Um, some might say it was Evolve 13-1. Uh, <laughs> it, was, uh, it was the whole reason it was such a big deal was it was the 10th anniversary show. Also a big deal because for a Florida-based promotion, this took place in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, the night before Extreme Rules. So that would be Saturday the 13th of July 2019 at the 2300 Arena. Now, all of us know that the 2300 Arena sits at the crossroads of Swanson and Rittner, and therefore it is much better known as ECW Arena. Ah, yes. And so, Evolve running out of the world's most famous bingo hall, the new Alhambra, the ECW Arena, that gave it a lot of clout to begin with. And I know I said on this show, would it? No, it probably wouldn't look or feel like the ECW arena. Well, it didn't look like it, but it did kind of feel like it. It did kind of feel like it. It did, indeed. A really good production for this Evolve show. 
um, and a lot of uh, a lot of talent that I'd never seen before, never really even heard of some of these folks. Uh, so it was it was nice exposure. It's always nice to watch a show that you don't know everyone, so you kind of like get to know these people via their oh, wrestling hell. abilities. Hell yeah! That, I mean, it's just like attending a, an indie show. You know what it looked like to me, Darren. You, you know how in, in like <laughs> WWF No Mercy, how like all the main wrestlers look a certain way, they're like detailed a certain way. But if you make creative players, if you make your own people, they don't necessarily look as good because they're all kind of slopped together and you change colors, they don't look as good. That's what this looked like. It looked like all the evolved people were like creative players. And then you had, like, Adam Cole, and you have, like, uh, Akira Tozawa and Drew Gulak and all them. They look like the regular game people. Um, but it's just saying, like, you know, you, you, there's people that need to, like, you know, work on their look and, and evolve. Oh! And that's, hey. and that's what they're there for. But, I don't know, I thought of well, that uh, watching hey, let the me show. Just say, let me just say that uh, for those of you uh, other wrestling journalists or other um, podcast critics out there in the podcasting world, when next time you write an article about us where you may want to lump us in with my favorite murder uh, or, you know, something along those effects uh, and you want to deliver a quote, remember it was Perry Smith who said that evolved wrestlers look slopped together. Uh, <laughs> it was not Darren Beasley that said that. It was Perry Smith. No, no, no. It's it's the look <laughs> isn't quite refined. Because they, they, they look like they're rough around the edges, which is why they're on Evolve and not on WWE. I'm just saying that's the point of Evolve. But right, they are they are evolving. Correct, correct. But I mean, the production was definitely there. It looked like a legitimate like NXT TakeOver type show. I mean, obviously with a smaller audience. And it was weird, too, because that audience we'd never seen before. So it's not the typical faces you would see in like one of those shows. But it was kind of interesting. There was like... There, there was, like, a couple guys that were just on their phone the whole time. There was a guy wearing, like, one of those, like, uh, like if you go to a shooting range, like, those giant, like, like headset, you know, uh, like, earmuffs or whatever. Uh, there was, like, a guy who kept yawning throughout the show, and I was kind of like, man, I kind of missed the Florida audience because these people don't seem to care enough. Ugh. I know what you mean, but I don't miss that Florida audience. Oh. And if you, and if you think, if, if you do miss them, then please, just watch... Fight for the Fallen. Oh, Lord. And just watch uh, NXT over the past couple weeks. Oh, my God. NXT this past Wednesday was like, oh, my. It was a rogues gallery of, <laughs> of Florida wrestling fans. And I was just found myself rolling my eyes quite a bit. Oh, well, God love them. Well, we talked about the atmosphere and the feel of the show. Uh, how was the show itself, Derek? The actual matches. It was actually really good. Um, you know, most people, you can go watch the show. We've got so much to cover in, uh, on this particular episode. We're not going to break all these shows down match by match by match. But as far as matches go, if you want to watch good wrestling, go watch this show. Go watch Evolve 131, the 10th anniversary show on the WWE Network, because you will see some excellent wrestling, whether you know the participants or not. Um, Josh Briggs, uh, who I had never heard of. Josh Briggs, however, is apparently the shit in Evolve because he opens the show, and of course he makes a huge impact later. Um, this guy's got a great look. He's really tall. He, he's built. You know, he's got the typical wrestler long hair and beard. Um, 
I, the, the, I, I have to, the, the one thing I'm going to criticize off the top is the shoulder harness thing that he's wearing. Yes, which goes back to my creative player. Uh, yeah, you know, Josh Briggs looks like Teddy Stigma if Teddy Stigma weren't cool. Oh, my God. So slop together is what you mean. No, it's just Stigma so fucking cool. No, but... Uh, no, I know what you mean. The, the problem with that shoulder pad is I couldn't tell if it was a fashion piece or... or if it was necessary. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Injured. Sure, sure. And you need to be able to tell because that factors into how I feel about you as a wrestler. Right, right, right. Am I supposed to be sympathetic because you're fighting through an injury? Or am I like, oh, that's a badass piece of equipment he's got? Or am I supposed to think, that's lame, take it off? Like, <laughs> right, exactly. Instead I, didn't, instead, I had no idea what to think. Yeah. But Josh Briggs defeated Anthony Green. Uh, there was a four-way match between Stephen Wolf, Kurt Stallion, um, everybody's favorite, Sean Maluda, and Harlem Bravado. I like this Sean Maluda. It reminded me of the Usos, how I didn't like the Usos until they went gangsta. And Maluda was all Islander, and now he's gangsta. So I like him. Also, I like his music. I heard his music, and I was like, I like that music. So okay. I like Sean Maluda. Okay, but how many thugged out Polynesians do you need? Hey, man, Maluda only needs a couple of DUIs, and he'll be right there with... Okay, that was it. Last, last Uso joke. <laughs> Last I can't, I can't promise that's the last. Okay, episode. can't promise that either. No. Um, and th- this is a good match. Um, this this was the night of of a thousand nosebleeds. Do you notice <laughs> that that was a recurring theme? And uh, three of these matches, uh, someone either breaks their nose or has a nosebleed. It was also the night of a thousand senton bombs. Oh yes, uh, the, the like running or standing senton bomb, and I realized that that's what like a lot of fat guys do. And I realized that that's what a lot of indie guys do when you can't really think of anything instead of doing nothing or instead of going in for like a rest hold, you just kind of run, jump and fall. And like, it's not a bad spot. Uh, the problem is seeing it over and over and over again. And to me, that's somewhat of a failure on the boys. Cause you need to be watching what's happening, but it's also considering that this was at least somewhat, partially produced by the WWE, the blame falls a little bit on the producers or the agents or the bookers or whatever you want to call them because they should say, Hey, ease back on the senton, you know, or sure. Sure. No, as far as the nosebleeds though, that's just everybody giving 150% and busting themselves to pieces. Right. But like doing it like early in the match where someone builds himself up as like the ultimate ass kicker badass and they break their nose immediately. And it's like, Oh yeah, you look real tough now, buddy. Um, (laughs) (laughs) But uh, no, I think maybe it's this match and the next one where like, there's a series of events that happens and they're identical. And it's like, okay, someone backstage should have been like, okay, not that you just did that. Um, But that happens. That's something you got to watch out for uh, when you do a wrestling show. But anyway. Well, Stephen Wolf won the four-way. Uh, next up, we saw Arturo Ruiz uh, fight Anthony Henry. Now, Nice try, Arturo Ruiz. We know you by your real name, Adrian Jowd. That's right. He may have left the name Adrian Jowd, but the name Adrian Jowd did not leave him, Darren. <laughs> That's very true. I was like, oh, look, it's Adrian Jowd. Why are they calling him Arturo? Well, they're not calling him Arturo Ruiz. That's what it says on paper, but they're saying 
Huas. Yeah, Huas. Yeah. Now, okay, I don't speak Portuguese, but Portuguese is almost identical to Spanish. Is but are R's pronounced as an H in the, Portuguese? They have more fun with the R's there, Darren. You should know that. You're a history guy. Uh, no, Spanish has plenty of fun with an R. They go. <laughs> <laughs> it is uh, their favorite. There, there's no reason to replace that with a <sighs> sound because sure. you already because you already have that in Spanish and Portuguese. You are the J already makes an H sound. X makes an H sound. You don't need R to also make an make an X sound. Because guess what? You have H, and oh, yeah. H makes an H sound. Well, I mean, in America, the H is is sometimes silent, Darren. So maybe they're they're overcompensating for that. I wouldn't tell <laughs> Ruiz or Huez uh, anything like that because uh, he might put me in some uh, terrifying submission hold. Because man, that is a submission specialist. He he really has refined his abilities. I gotta say, and he he has built himself a very unique repertoire. I will say that. Yeah, his moveset and his look have become perfectly refined. He looks like he's somebody out of the Gracie family. He looks like he should be in street, some sort of Street Fighter sequel. Um, I think he has a complete look. I think that that look could, uh, could really be spotlighted if they went for it. But I think in the same breath as they're talking about his abilities, they also mentioned that he's now a trainer. Uh, at NXT, and I'm like, no, because that means we'll never see him, you know, anywhere really, except maybe as an NXT jobber if he's. Become Let's a say, yeah, they, they they would they would job out the trainers, yeah, absolutely. But if this is the only way we can see him, at least we get to see like a a perfected version of him. I'm a fan, but you know, even if they're jobbing him out, they're putting him over the Evolve guy because he defeats Anthony Henry. Um, then there's a no disqualification match between Brandy Lauren, who we saw at the beginning of the show, um, uh, and her opponent is Shotzi Blackheart, who we know from seeing at Fest Wrestling, uh, as well as a lot of other indie wrestling. This was a huge opportunity for Shotzi Blackheart. Absolutely. And this match, which is no disqualification, has one of the best... Well, fuck yes, if it's no disqualification, I'm going to bring my friend here to come and help kick your ass, Shotzi Blackheart. And eventually her boyfriend comes out in the very end. And uh, something I wanted to say on this uh, podcast for a very long time, Darren, uh, if I never see another suicide dive again, I'll be perfectly fine. Until I saw Shotzi Blackheart set up a tower of chairs and then suicide dive into the tower of chairs which looked super painful. Uh, that was uh, that was pretty intense. Shotzi Blackheart is tough as nails, and if you had any doubts, you'd only need to watch that one segment uh, where she <laughs> she dives into that steel fortress. Um, good match, though. Good showing for both of these uh, wrestlers. Uh, and at the end, though, the Shotzi Blackheart cannot overcome her adversary. And uh, really, really sloppy ending, I gotta say. Yeah, Shotzi goes through that uh, through the stack of chairs and is pulled into the ring by Brandy and kicks out of the pin. So Brandy grabs a kendo stick and just whacks her four or five times and then just pins her. It's like, no, how about you don't need a kendo stick for that? That's that's kind of unnecessary. Like maybe just pull her into the ring. She's tough. She kicks out the first time. 
then you just nail her with the finisher that you do and then just pin her. The whole fact that Anthony Green came out to help her and really didn't do anything, it was kind of pointless for him to come out there. Um, and also the kendo stick was totally unnecessary. So kind of a botch finish the match, um, but the match itself was very entertaining. Next up, Baba Tunde. Hey, remember that name? Baba Tunde faces off against Colby Carino. The unwanted son, Colby Carino. Yeah, I mean, this unwanted thing is actually pretty cool. I like it. I didn't know, I didn't know much about it, but when we get to see, like, Eddie Kingston uh, run his mouth about it, I, I dig it. I, I actually dig it. But we're not quite to that. Instead, um, it's just this singles match. And Baba Tunde, I, it's strange to me how when they do put him on the air, they act like everybody should know who he is. In fact, no one knows who he is. Um <laughs> And that's fine. They need to take advantage of that and like build him up as something super spooky or super mysterious or new or threatening. Or, I mean, in this match, the only threat is that he's five times bigger than Colby Carino. Sure, Baba Tunde is a six ten. He's he's a big guy, right? And that's that's a huge threat. Sure, but they need to make it out as like a huge new threat, like. Holy shit, where'd this guy come from? Right. We like, all know Baba Tunde. If you know, you watch Greatest Royal Rumble, he was in that. And if you watched, if you, if you attended a bunch of Florida NXT house shows, you would have seen him around. That's kind yeah. of it. Hashtag NXT Fort Pierce. Hashtag NXT Largo. Yeah. If you don't, if you don't have those hashtags, like auto correcting into your Instagram, you don't know who Baba Tunde is. <laughs> Precisely. And so here he is, and you're supposed to be afraid of him. And, you know, you can be afraid of him because he is a literal giant. Um, but I don't know. He needs, uh, he needs a lot. He needs a lot of packaging. Not because he's not enough, but because that's what pro wrestling is. Sure. Pro wrestling is packaging. It's staging. It's selling. So sell me Babatunde some more. So, of course, Baba Tunde defeats the unwanted son, Colby Carino. And uh, the unwanted, I guess he's the unwanted son of Steve Carino, <laughs> king of the old school, now WWE employee, NXT coach. And uh, Colby Carino, also erstwhile ugly duckling. Um, but here on this night, a member of Eddie Kingston's um, unwanted group. Uh, speaking of Eddie Kingston, he and Joe Gacy, the Evolved Tag Team Champions, took on A.R. Fox and Leon Ruff, who were accompanied by all sorts of people that I didn't know. <laughs> now, A.R. Fox, I don't even really know him, other than I know he wrestled at the very first Fest Wrestling show. Fought, uh, I believe he fought uh, the then Angel Rose, now Diamante. Yeah, they fought at the first Fest. I remember that. And A.R. Fox is a hell of a wrestler. Obviously, I don't know Leon Ruff, and not many people do, because apparently he is fairly new to the game. He is a student of A.R. Fox's, uh, and he's tagging with A.R. Fox as, I guess, basically his prized pupil. Sure. Uh, and they're joined by what I would assume are, are other students, maybe, or friends. But they're basically guys who are like trying to put themselves over by dancing. Uh, nevertheless, A.R. Fox and Leon Ruff would challenge uh, Eddie Kingston and Joe Gacy for those evolved belts, and they will win them. Although, 
I would not have called that if you had asked me who was going to win like two minutes into the match. Because two minutes into the match, it looked like A.R. Fox had broken his ass and would never walk again. There are two spots. Uh, A.R. Fox, the very, very beginning, goes for a suicide dive uh, against Eddie Kingston, but way overshoots it, uh, where he basically hits the guardrail, and if Eddie Kingston didn't stop him, he would have flown into the second row. Um, so Kingston probably saved A.R. Fox's ribs uh, for a second there. Uh, but he takes he takes a pretty hard hit against the guardrail. But yes, he hits the he gets to the top rope later on and does <laughs> he basically comes off the top rope onto the outside of uh, of uh, Kingston and Gacy. But the way he falls is back first, and he tucks in his extremities, so he falls like a sack of cement straight down. There's nothing for them to grab onto, so because because he didn't like come with his arms flailing, so they can kind of hook him and catch him on the way down. He falls straight down, and it looks super painful. Ar Fox, by the way, in super good shape, probably like maybe three percent body fat, which looks great. But the downside of that is you feel every bit of impact from anything uh, because, yeah, he hits hard on the floor. Yeah, I mean, he's, he's, he's falling like 15, 18, 20 feet. Who knows? Like a bag of cement, like a bag of wet, dried cement that's <laughs> now hard as a rock sure. onto, guess what, more cement. Yeah. And when cement crash lands onto more cement, something's going to shatter and I think what shattered might have been, you know, bits and pieces of the, of his pelvis. <laughs> um, he he does he does grab his thigh quite a bit throughout the match, like like under hard, yeah, yeah. Uh, under under his thigh. Yes, yeah. so he may have he may have hurt his leg. I could hardly watch the rest of that match for that very reason. But I think I think that had Ar Fox not um, injured himself that way, this would have been a competition between Fox and Ruff. To see who could do more gymnastics on the ropes. Sure. Because uh, Leon Ruff does an entire like dance routine on the ropes. I- I've never seen anything quite like it. It was very interesting. Um, but in the end, like we said, uh, Fox and Ruff defeat Eddie Kingston and Joe Gacy for the Evolve tag team titles. So much for the unwanted. Um it's A.R. Fox and Leon Ruff's evening as far as the championship gold goes. And I do like uh, Eddie Kingston. Uh, I think somewhere between uh, Shane Douglas and Bubba Ray Dudley is this guy. I can um, dig that. And, that, and that. that's that's a huge compliment as far as like talking shit on a microphone. Uh, I, I did get like Bubba Ray uh, vibes from this guy. He's good at talking trash and he... And he doesn't look like the wrestler. He doesn't look like a conventional wrestler, too, which I like. He looks like just a, a tough guy, which I think is cool. Um, so uh, yeah, yeah I, I like I like him, and I like the idea of that faction. So yeah, he he looks a little bit like a raccoon, <laughs> with like with like the attitude of Taz, and like. The voice of the baby from Who Framed Roger Rabbit? He looks like if Tom Sizemore became a wrestler, is what he looks like. So a crackhead? Wow. Wow. You forgot the good times (laughs) that Tom Sizemore gave us, Darren. 
I think I think those times were so good because he was smoking crack. <laughs> Jesus Christ. In a catch point reunion. Darren's views do not exactly reflect the views of the entire whole reference show podcast, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> One of us has a heart, goddammit. Um, like I was saying, <laughs> catch good point times because he was smoking crack. <laughs> Jesus. Alright. Hey, go ahead. Be- people don't become crackheads because it's always bad. It's got to be good at some point, or they wouldn't do it. That's 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 true, Darren. It's true. People don't do drugs with the intention of ruining their lives. Sure. Hey, first of all, <laughs> kids, don't do drugs. Right. Of course. This is not a pro drugs rant. No, it's a pro it's wrestling insane. rant. <laughs> <laughs> Anti drugs, pro wrestling, kids. That's right. Sure. Yes. There you go. Sort of like that. Oh, do you remember that. I've got the magnet on my refrigerator. I may I cut it out of the plastic bag from the freezer section. You could buy these pre-made uh, like frozen biscuits that were made by like some old lady in like the Great Lakes states, like Minnesota or Wisconsin or something. And it said, "Say no to drugs. Say yes to biscuits." Yeah, she had the right so, idea. But like you said, uh, anti-drugs, pro wrestling. That's right, kids. <laughs> Catchpoint reunion and at the Evolve 13-1 show. Drew Gulag, the original leader of Catchpoint, uh, dominant uh, amateur catches catch can uh, catches catchpoint that existed in, in Evolve, led by Drew Gulag once upon a time. Uh, they have a, a small reunion here as Drew Gulag, the original master or sensei of this group, took on uh, his former student Matt Riddle. Now, Drew Gulak is a star of WWE 205 Live. He is the current WWE Cruiserweight Champion, having defeated Tony Nese. And Matt Riddle is an NXT superstar who is making a name for himself in many, many ways by defeating top NXT stars uh, by taking to social media and saying he's the man to end the career of Brock Lesnar. So Gulak and Riddle, both high profiles at this time, so for them to return to their roots of Evolve and have a singles match, boy, sign me up. This was the price of admission alone. That was a great match, and I like Drew Gulak. And my favorite thing about Drew Gulak has to be the fact that if you say his name fast, it sounds like one word, Drew Gulak, uh, much like Kubiak from Parker Lewis Can't Lose. <laughs> yes. Okay, there we go. That's all. Right, yeah. Also, um, also, he's a fine wrestler, Darren. Right. Well, every time I say Drew Gulak, I, I also I think of goulash, and it makes me very hungry for goulash. <laughs> sure. And when I think Kubiak, I think of Kodiak, uh, as in the bear, and then I think of Klondike, and then, and then it makes me think, what would I do for a Klondike bar? Which also makes me very hungry. Wow! Ah, I'm starting to see a pattern here, Darren. Yeah, that's an unfortunate. That's why I'm. Uh, that's why I'm overweight. <laughs> uh, Matt Riddle defeats Drew Gulak because the student has now become the master. Ah. And despite the fact that Gulak, Kubiak, Kuba, Kumbaya, uh, is the champion, the one who holds WWE gold or purple and silver, if you will, Matt Riddle wins the match. Matt Riddle is the champion on this night. Here in this catch point reunion, Riddle goes over. And I think it makes sense. Riddle has the better physique. 
Riddle, I think, is the better wrestler. I think Riddle has the bigger following. So despite the fact that Gulak in some ways may have the bigger profile at that on that particular night, Matt Riddle was the right guy to go over on this uh, at this show. Well, we figured we went into this match and we figured that that's what would happen, right? Uh, yeah. Especially with the belt not on the line, obviously Matt Riddle would go over on Drew Gulak since there's only bragging rights and they're they're trying to build Matt Riddle up. Gulak is already champion. There's nowhere else for him to go. Especially considering 205 Live, those cruiserweights typically don't fight for any other titles. Um, so, yeah, there's, there's nowhere else for Gulak to go. Matt Riddle, the sky is the limit, as they say. So it made sense that Riddle would go over on Gulak. Uh, and, of course, at the end of it, you have the whole, I may not like you, but damn it, I respect you. Um, so I guess that had to happen. It was catch point, baby. I guess it's catch point for life, you know? Sure. In the penultimate match of the evening, this was a badass match. The Evolved Champion Austin Theory took on the WWN Champion J.D. Drake in a winner-takes-all, both titles on the line, champion versus champion match. And this was, boy, we're talking about styles clash. Austin Theory, very young, very sculpted, thin, uh cut up high flyer against JD Drake. This guy is straight out of like Ole Anderson territory. You know, this guy, he is barrel chested. He is round headed, uh, very little neck. I mean, it is all just, uh, you know, and his underpants pulled up to his diaphragm. Uh, but he looked like a real shit kicker. Also the promos for this match the way they set up this match, I went from not caring about this to being very invested by the time the bell rang. Sure. No, absolutely. And uh, this looked like it was obviously a wrestling match because it's a wrestling match, but it looked like a fight. Um, it, it was very well, very well booked, very well executed, except this may have been the match where Austin Theory attempts a, a, a tornado DDT or maybe an acid drop. Um but he he's just shy of the corner and and basically just kind of puts his legs up to jump on the the turnbuckle but it's not there so he just falls but then like goes back to do it again and it's like don't don't if you fucked up the first time do something similar but don't do the same thing again that makes wrestling look fake um this that may not have been the match but i, I want to say it is this is the match however that like Austin theory is like i'm a badass and then breaks his nose immediately um, Austin Theory, though, much better name than Austin Hypothesis. <laughs> also, there's a lot of Austins. There's a lot of Austins in, in wrestling. Name one. You can't do it. So maybe, uh, maybe those 16, 17-year-olds out there, if you're going to try and hit Evolve or NXT or... Uh, anything like that in the next few years, maybe maybe come up with something besides Austin. <laughs> uh, Austin Theory wins this match after a an outstanding wrestling match uh, that I was in. I I was totally into. Uh, Theory combines the titles with that victory. They are now one. Um, I'm curious. Like here's the thing: the most interesting thing about that is I don't necessarily follow Evolve from week to week or even show to show, but I want to see what happens with this combined title now. Do, the, do they do away with the uh, WWN title? 
seems like that's what Theory would like to do. Uh, but contractually, hashtag if wrestling were real, they are a unified championship, or at least they are both being held technically by Austin Theory. So it's got me intrigued. You know, it's like you dangle this free, readily available show right in front of you on the network. You'll watch it. And now all of a sudden you care and you want to see what happens next. And uh, if Evolve turns into the new NXT, then uh, I'll be there. I'll be there with bells on. The main event of Evolve 131 is not an Evolve match at all. But instead it is an <laughs> NXT championship. How fitting. Yeah. And it is an NXT championship match and your champion Adam Cole, baby, is taking on Akira Tozawa. And Akira Tozawa never did any time in NXT, did he? Uh, I don't believe so, no. CWC right into 205 Live. I think that's what, exactly. So it's interesting to see him. Um, maybe he did some, uh, he probably did some uh, access matches, uh, mixed matches over the course of the last few years at WrestleMania. Prob- uh, I, I, imagine he- some, I imagine some NXT house shows too before 205 Live came to being. Or probably even now, he probably shows up at the house shows every now and again. Which that, when we went to a lot of house shows, that tend to be, like Drew Gulak was at like one of the last Jacksonville house shows we went to. So, But Adam Cole is the champion here, Adam Cole. And he defends his title successfully against Akira Tozawa. Um, and... You know, I don't, I don't have a lot to say about this match. It wasn't particularly great. It was it was a good match. Uh, Johnny Gargano coming out of the end. Uh, as soon as Gargano hits the hits the uh, I guess the, the eye of the the public, it becomes more about him than Akira Tozawa, which I thought was shitty because um, this is kind of like a build up for the rematch between Gargano and Cole uh, for NXT Takeover. Uh, but I guess it, it just exists for Gargano to kind of cut that promo at the end of uh, the Evolve show. Uh, which was very good, and talking about how you know what Evolve meant to him and all that stuff. Which we forgot to mention that Paul Heyman shows up at Evolve and cuts a promo, uh, which was a very big moment and uh, very very heartfelt. Obviously, Heyman, you know, in the old stomping grounds of ECW in Arena, um, and he's like teary eyed. You can kind of see it, and uh, you know, totally cuts into that one fan that won't shut up, uh, which was great. And, uh, yeah, Heyman came out there and did what he does best, which is talk, and uh, said, basically, they never asked me to do these things because they know I'll say no, but I asked them if I could be here tonight. And I was like, bleh! So people were happy about that. So, uh, But Evolve was great. Uh, it's something that I would love to watch again. And so I guess it served its purpose, which is to get more eyes on the product, which it got my eyes on it, and I actually look forward to the next Evolve show. Me too. Uh, I think it got a lot of people's eyes on the product. Probably took a lot of people's eyes off of AEW's fight for the fallen. Because even though it was free on the BR Live app, Bleacher Report Live, uh, much like Fighter Fest, AEW put this show on for free. Um, I think that they kind of learned their lesson from Double or Nothing and that charging 40 or $50 right out of the gate for something that is unknown, unproven, untested might have hurt them more than it helped them. Yeah, without even the benefit of a weekly TV show. like right. that is, we, we can talk about that forever, and we're not going to, but that just, that just re, uh, reinforces our thoughts on why that first show needed to be free. But this one, Fight for the Fallen, the same night as Evolve. Of course, that's the 13th of July, 2019, a Saturday night. AEW seems like they uh, 
are going full tilt here and absolutely putting their big shows on Saturday nights to differentiate themselves from the WWE. This one was held in Jacksonville, Florida, which uh, is arguably the home of AEW. This took place at the Daly's Place Amphitheater next door to the TIAA Bank Field where the Jacksonville Jaguars play. Now, this is an amphitheater perfect size for a show of this size of this magnitude of uh, you know the it, it drew just the right amount for this sort of venue uh it looked awesome on on television the venue was shot very interestingly um it was very similar the setup to how we saw fest run a show at the amphitheater in saint augustine florida with the entrance off to the to stage right to the audience left and uh, the big difference being that AEW continued their brand new tradition of a ramp going all the way to the ring. What that did was the hard camera was then put at an angle, so we got that rare uh, appearance of a diamond shape as opposed to a square. Uh, now, we saw that historically uh, quite a few times when ECW would go on the road back in the day, but to see it here in AEW it was just one more thing to remind me I'm not watching WWE, and that's a good thing. Sure. Uh, it, it's different. The pre-show, there were two matches. Peter Avalon, the librarian, with Leva Bates, the librarian, took on Sonny Kiss. I don't understand the gimmick. Uh, why are there two librarians, and why are they just each referred to as the librarian? <laughs> That would be like if Hulk Hogan had had a valet and he was known as the, no, it's not even that. The I was going to say the immortal Hulk Hogan and the immortal Jennifer. No, like, <laughs> but like if, if the Macho Man had a teammate that was also known as the Macho Man, like they were both right, just called the Macho the, Man. Right, but they weren't the Macho Men. It, it just exactly. doesn't make sense. Precisely. Because they're not, they're not the librarians, Peter Avalon and Leva Bates, anyway. I need somebody to explain this because I missed the memo. I missed the boat. I missed the bus. I missed the trolley. And I have been left in the dust to the point that I don't care. And I hate that because I love Leva Bates. Sure. Should we, hey, should, we, should, we add, hashtag, should we add Leva Bates to the Skype conversation, Darren, and ask her right now? We could. Hashtag friend of the show. Maybe we'll have her on and we'll ask her, what is the deal with the librarian gimmick? <laughs> The funniest part of this match is the reading sucks chant. Uh, <laughs> otherwise, there isn't much to this match, and Sunny Kiss makes pretty short work of Peter Avalon. And before the show proper begins, the other pre-show match is a women's tag team match. B. Priestley and Shoko Nakajima took on the team of Britt Baker and Riho. Um... With San Diego Comic-Con fresh in my mind, this match was far less a women's wrestling match and more of like a cosplay tournament. Uh, there was so much like accoutrement and uh, entrance attire that I was distracted. I mean, and you're, you're talking to the guy. I mean, I love Ric Flair's robes. I always look forward. I used to look forward to Rey Mysterio's WrestleMania outfit like you know i like entrance gear the pageantry the pageantry sure but these ladies looked like they were either going 
to like a furry convention or to like some sort of like Wiccan bonfire ceremony uh, or both. They were going to attend Wiccan, one and the other. Wiccan at Bernie's. <laughs> <laughs> that could be the third weekend at Bernie's. Yes, that's what the world needs. A third weekend at Bernie's. Hey, we get, we're getting a third Bill and Ted. It's true. It's true. It's time, Darren. It's time. It's time for a third weekend at Bernie's. Um, B Priestley, I didn't know that much about. Uh, I know that I see her on Instagram, and uh, she, she's a imposing presence. But I really began to like her as this match went on, and she and uh, Nakajima actually win the match, going over Britt Baker DDS, Mrs. Adam Cole, baby, uh, and Riho. And so that was that. The show itself begins in earnest. It's the real fight for the fallen. It is the show in which Cody Rhodes had promoted the fact that enormous amount of the proceeds from this show would be given to victims of gun violence in Duval County, which is, of course, the county of which Jacksonville is the county seat in northeastern Florida on the Atlantic coast. And uh, we get to see that check actually presented at the end of the show. Uh, so that's who we're talking about here. That they are the fallen that they are fighting for. Well, that's those my victims of gun violence. Absolutely, that's my home county, Darren. Of course, those who don't recall Duval County, Florida, it's where I was born. That's right, nine oh four, baby, Duval. <laughs> None of that Orange County baloney. <sighs> Joey Janela, Jimmy Havoc, and Darby Allen. Oh my. God, or this is a demolition derby, and I haven't even named the other half yet. Take on MJF, Sean Spears, and Sammy Guevara. And uh, I know we mentioned this. Is this just six heels fighting each other in a just a fight to the death? Yeah, man, fight to the death. Uh, MJF, Sean Spears, and Sammy Guevara go over with Sean Spears actually gaining the pinfall. Um, I don't know that Spears is that over with this AEW crowd. Um, well, it's it's tough because not everyone is a huge fan of Ty Dillinger anyway, Sean Spears. And also he clocked Cody Rhodes, who is over, over the head. So there's that there, – there, there's a majority of people who don't like him because he's a heel. There's a majority of people who don't like him because they never were interested in him to begin with. And then there's a majority of people who – don't even know who the fuck he is. So that's what we have here, which is why there's very little heat uh, when it comes to uh, Sean Spears at this point. And that could change. And and I know that I was kind of negative on him the last time I talked about AEW because it's kind of a... I, no, 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 no. Don't... don't I shouldn't have to care because you're telling me that I have to care. I want to care because I care. Which, sure. is actually, which is actually AEW's biggest problem so far is don't tell me you're great, just be great, and I'll tell you you're great. Uh, we we have whew, we have beaten that horse sure. a lot, um, and I'm sure we will continue to. They're they're making a lot of mistakes, and they'll continue to. I uh, just I'm I'm sticking around for when they start to correct some of those mistakes. Sure, but MJF, Sean Spears, and Sammy Guevara are the victors here. It's weird to see Joey Janela, Jimmy Havoc, and Darby Allen all here on a team. And on the losing end of this, I think that this was this was odd. This was AEW kind of burying those three guys. You know, like, 
Sammy Guevara is a baby compared to all five <laughs> of these others. MJF is is brand new to the business, and Spears is a WWE guy. I just can't believe they put them over Janela Havoc and Allen. Like, I don't know, man. They really seem like Janela Havoc and Allen should have been your winners here. Well, they're cannon fodder because they have to build Spears up now. So, next up, Brandy Rhodes making her wrestling debut against Allie. Allie, formerly Impact Knockouts champion, Brandy Rhodes, the chief brand e officer of All Elite Wrestling. And Brandy doesn't come to the ring alone. Now, who's with her? Is it Cody? No, it is not. It is Awesome Kong. Also form- most famous for her TNA days and her part on the Glow Netflix series. But uh, don't confuse yourself thinking she's an actress. This is a real ass-kicking wrestle lady. Like, uh, Awesome Kong is an imposing presence. That's exactly why Brandy Rhodes as her at her side against Allie. Brandy needs to train more. That's the long and the short of it. Brandy looks um, like 50% sloppy and 50% textbook. There's no fluidity to what she's doing. Um, And I don't care. I'm not always that critical of somebody not looking amazing. You know, because I readily suspend my disbelief when I'm watching wrestling. I'm a 40-year-old man. (laughs) I look at it and start to fear for people's safety. If she's not crisp enough to be in there so that she looks like she's doing a bad job, that is increasing the risk that she's going to hurt someone. And that shit ain't cool. No, absolutely. I mean, it's it's, uh, reflections of Lana when she was wrestling. Uh, it just looked bad, um, and and not bad as in like, you know, like you're a bad wrestler, you suck. It's bad because you're making this look fake, um, right? And also, you run the risk of actually injuring someone, and that that's definitely not cool. So, I mean, obviously, we say that because you, you Brandy Rhodes is just such a great personality. Uh, and obviously, she's not she's not hard to look at. <laughs> she's a very attractive woman. So, I mean, her being on television, that's just a natural thing. But as far as her being a performer, a wrestler, in a, in a wrestling capacity, uh, you probably do want to get those wrinkles out. Um, so, you should probably this is where you put her in a tag team situation with Awesome Kong against Allie and, a, and another you know partner of her choosing. So, that way, you can have Brandy come in and do what she, she can do well and then tag out and let Awesome Kong come in and, and do stuff as well. So... Uh, yeah, you, yeah, you want to put Brandy in some tag team situations to to develop her her wrestling abilities, of course. But because she is so in the spotlight, it's hard. I understand why it's hard to not just get her on the card somewhere. But you need to be mindful of her abilities, otherwise, it's damaging to her and your product. So that being said, I love Brandy Rhodes, um, and she's very entertaining to watch. And she is the winner of this match. Yay! Uh, you know, they're only banking on her good qualities, and that's why they put her over Alley here. So Brandy Rhodes moves on with the assistance of Awesome Kong uh, and defeats Alley. Where do we go from here? Who knows? Our next match is a triple threat tag team match between the Dark Order, who are Evil Uno and Stu Grayson, and they're all their little Goomba Pollywog friends uh, against 
<laughs> against uh, the Backyard Wrestler and the Motocross Rider, and Helico and Jack Evans, and my new favorite tag team in all of pro wrestling, Luchasaurus and Jungle Boy. And um, this match, I'm guessing they're trying to establish who's on top as far as tag team wrestling goes in all elite wrestling. I don't like the answer to that question, which apparently <laughs> is the Dark Order. Um, the Dark Order sounds cool as shit on paper. And then when they're out there, I just don't. I'm like, no, no. It, it's, it sounds like what some backyard wrestler tag team would call themselves. And they come out and they're just wearing black t-shirts and blue jeans and, and just mean mug. You know what I mean? Well, I do know what you mean. These guys are, they, at least they're beyond the black t-shirt and, and blue jeans. You know, Evil Uno has this weird mask, which if you're going to wear a mask, it had better fit right and stay situated. He was tugging at it. <laughs> that's, also, that's just good advice, Jared. That's good advice. Also, he's rather rotund. Which means he's also tugging at his pants the whole oh, time. Oh no, the big man, so, the big man shuffle. Yeah, so it's like, dude, between tugging at your mask and tugging at your britches, you just look like you're either too fat or too skinny for your clothes. Like, like you used to be even fatter, and now your gear is too big, <laughs> or like you're you're so fat that like. You can't keep up with how, what size your gear is supposed to be. Nevertheless, not a good look. Meanwhile, <laughs> Stu Grayson... Boy, it's too soon to put on the goal mask and outfit, Darren. Uh, he's, he's, he's tweener. That happens to big men when they lose a lot of weight, okay? Personal experience. You kind of hit this in-between size where you, you don't... You're literally in-between sizes. And all your shirts look... Way too big on you. Your pants look way too big on you, but you don't yet fit into the next size. So it, it's an odd. It, it's an odd purgatory. It's a personal hell. I don't wish it upon my 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 greatest adversaries. Okay, uh, I appreciate your knee jerk rush to his defense, but I am by no means fat shaming evil Uno. We call I am it fact, down the middle. I am in fact gear shaming evil uno because you can be as fat as the planet jupiter <laughs> jupiter isn't fat it's the appropriate size for a planet no no it's not it's gigantic jupiter big old is fat bloated. jupiter over here yeah okay jupiter is full of nothing but hot air if jupiter didn't go to fucking taco bell every night for fourth meal <laughs> then it wouldn't be so damn big but you can be as big as Jupiter and be happy as a clam, and your wrestling gear can still fit. Okay, okay, fair enough. Now, I, I never accused you of, of fat shaming, dude. I just wanted to, to devil's advocate. You know, that's what we do here. Whole Ruffin Show, only wrestling podcast calls it right down the middle, Darren. We have to give both sides. Continue. Uh, well, I will continue, and I will continue. I will belabor this point further. I might, in fact, be fatter than Evil Uno, but guess what? I'm not going on the BR Live app at Daly's Place Amphitheater in Jacksonville, Florida in tight pants and a luchador mask and trying to pretend that I'm not fat. <laughs> I mean, 
I mean, if you want to put me and Evil Uno on the Biggest Loser, and this and 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 say, hey, that one called the other one fat, and he's blah blah blah. I I would I would defy anyone to do that because that's not my point here. My point is, Evil Uno and Stu Grayson sound really cool, and then they don't pull it off. Stu Grayson looks like a reject from The Last Airbender, and you know, with his genie pants on, they don't look awesome like Sabu or like uh, um, Hayabusa. Instead, he looks like he should have skipped Fight for the Fallen and gone out to Jack's Beach and led some like sunset yoga class. Like, oh, okay. So it's, know, it's, it's so what you're saying is basically they don't look badass, they look like they're trying to look badass. Yes. Okay. Instead, now we're instead, there. Instead, I desperately wish they were badass. Because if they were, then I'd be okay with them defeating my boys, Luchasaurus and Jungle Boy, who are, in fact, badass. Well, you Man. You, you, you did stumble upon a great gimmick that never was. a uh, Maybe a, a late 80s, early 90s uh, WWF wrestler who is, is overweight, and people call him that, and he denies it, uh, like to... To, to the same extent that like Ric Flair denies that he ever cheated, but like he basically just says like he's he's not overweight or whatever. Like Heenan, kind of like when he kind of just shrugs comments off that like are you know are negative towards him or whatever. That 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 basically, idea sounds familiar. Or that idea sounds fun. Like uh, like adorable Adrian Adonis, kind of. Kind of yes, but that that was more that was more mean spirited against the possibilities of him being a homosexual. Uh, <laughs> Right, so a, a, li a little different, a little different, sure. Still, still unsettling. Uh, thanks, WWF, for all of the hate. Yeah. For all the hate. At least we forget. Oh, uh, um, wow. Okay, but uh, yeah, I, I'll take the Dark Order over the Fluorescent Brothers, um, Angelico and Jack Evans, the Mountain Dew Brothers. I still don't get it. I just don't get it. The Mountain Dew Bros. It's fine. Fine, totally fine. <laughs> but here's the deal, man. I am on Team Luchasaurus and Jungle Boy, so maybe they'll win next time. We have a singles match between Hangman Page, who is destined as one half of the match to determine the future AEW World Champion. But on this night, he'll be taking on the Brit, Kip Sabian, much smaller than the Hangman Adam Page. Nevertheless, taking, uh, taking Page to the limit. This is a good match. Right, uh, Adam Page won the match uh, to become number one contender to the title, right? That was back at Double or Nothing, right? Right. So that was three shows ago. Why is he not fighting? Why is he not fighting uh, for that title belt by now? Well, there is no champion. The, 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 what happened was Double or Nothing set up the championship match that would take place at All Out. So we're four, eight. No, we're three AEW shows in now. Yes, correct. And there's still no champion, no title match. Correct. So basically, they're trying to make a storyline out of much like you would easily do on a, a weekly TV show. They're trying to do it out of their pay per views, which are all months apart. Yeah. Okay. So yes, at All Out in Chicago, the next AEW pay per view, and you will have to pay for this one. Uh, Hangman Page will face Chris Jericho in the main event for 
the, A -E the inaugural AEW World Championship. We got a tag team match at Daly's Place Amphitheater in Jacksonville, Florida at Fight for the Fallen. The Lucha Brothers, Pentagon Jr. and Ray Phoenix took on SoCal Uncensored, represented by Frankie Kazarian and Scorpio Sky. My, uh, <laughs> my first and second least favorite members of SoCal Uncensored. Um... There's only three. Um, as I would hope would have happened, the Lucha Brothers defeat SoCal Uncensored because they are very awesome, and SoCal Uncensored has no business on my TV. Wow. I wonder if, if AEW will eventually have traditional tag team titles or if they'll do six-man AEW tag team titles. Because they seem to lump people up in these tag teams and, and gangs of three more often than not. They do, but this one being a traditional tag match led to the quick dispatching of SoCal Uncensored, which you're right, does normally wrestle as a three-piece, but Christopher Daniels luckily not involved in this match. My my least, least favorite member of SoCal Uncensored. Um, and Pentagon Jr. and Ray Phoenix pull a ladder out from underneath the ring, go up to the top and say at all out, the AEW tag team belts will be decided when they fight the young bucks in a ladder match. So it's, it's going to happen later. It's going to happen later. Right. It's, it's, it's a ladder happen. match. It's <laughs> yes. At Very a former good. match, a ladder match. The, these, the are the jokes, Brothers. these are the jokes, Darren. <laughs> Try to keep up. These are the good times, people. These, these are, the good, are times. the good times. Because of the crack, right? Tom <laughs> Sizemore. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure Tom Sizemore listens to the whole Ref and Show podcast. He does. Uh, and he does, does this is, oh, Sorry, he wouldn't say, that's right. He would say, they're great. <laughs> <laughs> These days, he can only pay his mortgage through uh, Frosted Flakes uh, commercials. Apparently, he killed the man who does Tony the Tiger. Actually, no, that man passed away. I recall he, that man did pass away not too long ago. I don't know who that man is. Oh, no. Was, Darren, was. Stagger Lee Marshall of the WCW. That's Right. Oh, Road ladies and gentlemen, it always comes back to wrestling. That's a Schweppes moment. Another Schweppes moment brought to you by Schweppes. Schweppes, a sparkling tradition since 1783. Wrestling revelations and cool, crisp refreshment, Darren, here on the Whole Ref and Show, the only wrestling podcast that calls it right down the middle. In fact, I want to drink some Schweppes right now. I had to drink that I had to drink that super loud <laughs> I just grossed myself out Sorry folks you kind, of, you kind of grossed me out too Okay, well I acknowledge that it was gross I had to watch you do it in addition, <laughs> in addition to hearing you In addition to hearing you do it I had to watch you do it In our uh, <laughs> Sub-main event Some would call it the penultimate match of the evening The cleaner if, 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 in fact, he is still cleaning things, <laughs> Kenny Omega took on Shima, spelled C-I-M-A, but pronounced Shima. 
It's like right. Shaw Day, right? It, it's pronounced. Well, my name is spelled Sade, <laughs> but it's pronounced Shaw Day. Thank you very much, Dennis Leary. <laughs> uh, Shima versus Kenny Omega is a pretty damn good match. This was better than I thought it would be. Shima's a brick shit house. Like uh, he is, he is broad. He is pumped. You know, he's got his pump on. He is strong. Like is this is a Nike pumps. Is that what we're gonna say next? Reebok pump. Reebok. Oh, oh, Reebok. apologies, apologies, apologies. Um, nevertheless, Kenny Omega wins. There's a lot of outside of the ring action here, um, which is different for me uh, watching Kenny Omega wrestle. I don't know. I still am. I'm still out to lunch on Kenny Omega, colon American wrestler. Um, I think I like him as a Canadian transplant to to Japan. Sure, way better than I like him wrestling as an American guy. I understand that. I'm all for Kenny Omega having new opponents though, because watching him fight Jericho, uh, you know, having him tag with the Young Bucks again, it's like just give me a good singles match with Omega, please. I'm I'm with you, and, and Shima is that guy, and and any anything else that I'm about to say is going to sound just like I'm shitting on Shima, uh, and I'm not, because he looked great. He wrestled great. He was a good, different opponent for Omega, but because I didn't know who he was at all, at all, it lessened it a little bit. Now I didn't. I don't want to see Kenny. I don't necessarily want to see Kenny Omega versus. Yeah, Sean Spears, or just because I know Sean Spears, so don't misunderstand me. It doesn't have to be somebody I absolutely know. I mean, like, I loved Masato Tanaka the moment he showed up in ECW, and I didn't know who the hell he was. You know, I loved Juventud Guerrera as soon as he appeared on Nitro back in 1996, and I didn't know who the hell he was. So it's not simply that I didn't know who he was. But it's like, this is the next to the last match on the card. This is Kenny Omega. This is AEW still trying to make a name for itself. I don't know that this is the place where you put Kenny Omega in a singles match against someone no one's ever heard of. Sure. You know, do you do it on their first weekly show or their second weekly show or any of their weekly shows? Yeah. Uh, I mean, but, Omega is top-tier talent. You're going to have to right. have him fight other top-tier talent or at least – People that have been built up and have names themselves uh, to to really kind of showcase Omega and his opponent. So when you put in an unknown like that, it is it is a misstep. I totally agree with that. Yeah. The main event is the Brotherhood versus the Young Bucks. Now, who's the Brotherhood? Of course, it's Cody and Dustin Rhodes, the artist formerly known as Goldust, the artist formerly known as the artist formerly known as Goldust. <laughs> yes. And uh, the the artist formerly known as Stardust, and that is, of course, Cody, don't call him Rhodes. Uh, everybody around him, his brother Dustin, his wife Brandy, they're all Rhodeses, but it's against the law for Cody to go by Cody Rhodes. I, I do like how they kind of, like, circumvent that whenever Cody comes out with Brandy. And it's like, Cody and Brandy. Rhodes, because they're saying Brandy Rhodes. If you actually right. were to write it out in a statement, uh, so it's totally legal, by the way. So I, I do like how they get around that. Yeah, good on you, Justin Roberts. And of course, the Brotherhood is taking on the Young Bucks, Matt and Nick Jackson, the hottest tag team of the last decade, uh, superstars worldwide. 
the Young Bucks, they, they are doing their magic here. Um, their magic, however, is a little bit different. This is the most different Young Bucks match I've ever seen. And it has to be because 50% of what they were facing was Dustin Rhodes, who was in his 50s, uh, who was in an incredible shape, but is no spring chicken. And uh, as fast as Dustin might look in the ring with someone like um, the Ascension uh, or Zack Ryder, uh, Dustin Rhodes against the Young Bucks almost looks like he's trudging through porridge. Um, <laughs> it's like DDP yoga. Like you're moving through clay. <laughs> what do you want? What do you want? So the Young Bucks uh, had to slow it down a little bit. Nevertheless, they defeat the Brotherhood in the main event here. The Young Bucks go over, and they had to go over. I mean, they had to go over because... They're the ones who are moving on to a title match, the tag team title match, at the next show, taking on Pentagon uh, Jr. and Ray Phoenix, the Lucha Brothers. But at the same time, it's a little weird to see Cody and Dustin go down. Um, because what this means now in terms of AEW, where they say that the wins and the losses matter, they're going to count, they're going to mean something, Dustin Rhodes is now 0-2. You brought in somebody who is high profile, high legacy, high talent, probably a high, probably earns a tidy paycheck, highly visible, and he loses back to back pay per views. Yeah, who are you, Vince McMahon? (laughs) Yeah, so that's a little risky, I think, uh, to have Dustin job job out like that. But maybe it's his last match. I did, I did see Cody. Whisper to him uh, one more time, buddy, to Dustin. So is that the last match we'll, we'll ever see with Dustin Rhodes? Well, they might be going to Waffle House after the show one last time, Darren. You never know with these wrestlers. <laughs> but that'll do it. Fight for the Fallen is a wrap, and it is, I don't know, much like Fighter Fest, it was sort of hit and miss. Uh, this company needs to figure out what itself. it is, yeah. I, I think that it will do that. I really think that it will do that. And the first opportunity that it's going to have to do that, besides the all-out pay-per-view, it's official. It will be at 8 o'clock p.m. on Wednesday night, the 2nd of October, 2019, on TNT, Turner Network Television, Wednesday Night Dynamite, it is supposed to be the name of the AEW Weekly Show making its debut in October, just a few short months away. Which is great. It'll give AEW time to figure itself out and catch up to its own hype. Um, build storylines, build characters, uh, build a rapport between these wrestlers. As it is, it's it's a very well-produced indie. And that's kind of all it is at this point. Again, the TV show is going to be huge as far as getting that all figured out. Um, and I'm looking forward to AEW kind of riding the ship and, you know, getting on course with itself. Um, but like I said, it has been disappointing as far. Maybe there was just too much hype going into it. But um, they've put on some good wrestling shows. But they're supposed to be putting on great wrestling shows is the only problem with AEW, which isn't the worst thing in the world. And I know we're very critical, but that's kind of our job to be critical, uh, to criticize. But anyway, uh, it's, it's not a bad show, but it still leaves you wanting 
more and not in the this is so good I want more. It, it's more in the like I needed more out of the show uh, kind of kind of wanting. So anywho, it is what it is. But now AW, like I said, is going to have that show that's going to help a lot. Speaking of indies, Darren, our favorite independent wrestling is happening this weekend in Hogtown, Gainesville, Florida. Fest Wrestling, Xmas in July 3. Let's talk all about it. Hey guys, this is Rich Bokini. You might remember me as Kevin Owens punching bag on SmackDown. You're listening to the whole and show, the only podcast that calls it right down the middle. That's right, sports fans. On July 28th in Gainesville, Florida, Hogtown as they say. Uh, Fest Wrestling does it again. For the third time, you will have Xmas in July. Xmas in July 3, Darren, which this is the misstep here. It should have been Triple Xmas in July. <laughs> Uh, Tony Weinbender, someone's been sleeping in your bed. You missed that opportunity, bud. Anywho, looking forward to this card. Uh, been looking forward to this for a while because it seems like forever ago since the last Fest show. I'm sure you'd agree with that. It has been forever. I am so ready for this show because I almost forgot what Fest Wrestling looked like. Hey, 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 hey. That doesn't mean I love it any less. Uh, they're, they're the ones that decided to take the extended hiatus. Well, see, this is the opposite of what I was saying about AEW. This is the type of wrestling that leaves you wanting more uh, because you get it so seldomly uh, throughout the year. There should be fest every week, I say, every week. Uh, so this is Exodus in July 3. Obviously, it's the third one, and it makes us feel old. We feel like fest wrestling is, is a new baby. Uh, but apparently uh, now it's starting to uh, starting to walk a little bit and starting to say things. So, is that the age that uh, babies say things and, and walk? I don't know. See, I, I have no idea. I have no idea. <laughs> My friends have kids, know. and I'm like, oh, th- that's the age they do that. Oh, okay, I understand. I don't know nothing about birth and no babies. Well done, very well done. Uh, so it's a very it's a nice and tight card here. Not the usual uh, large large. Uh, Typically, the Fest Wrestling posters are pretty pretty cramped for space when you put all the faces on the actual poster. But uh, yeah, quite a few quite a few folks on here, but not the typical zillion wrestlers, uh, which we all we all come to expect with Fest Show. A bit more succinct, a bit more concise. Uh, we have Fabulous Fitness taking on the Metro Brothers, and this is a few that's been boiling for a while. Uh, I believe there was a, a a short fight between these two at the last show, the last Fest Wrestling show. Well, the Metros really, really hate the Fabulous Fitness guys. They hate everyone, I think, a lot. They do. They do hate everyone, uh, myself included. I've gotten some pretty nasty looks from those dudes. Uh, they also, I think they, I really think they do hate everyone. They dress in a different dressing room than everyone, actually. Yeah. I mean, when you talk about Fest family, Metro Brothers, they might be brothers, but they are not a part of the Fest family. They, they, they are standalones, like. Uh, I found myself go like accidentally walked into the wrong restroom. I thought they were gonna jump me like I was a fucking soch, you know. They're, they're, <laughs> like they are a couple of greasers, and they were about to rumble all over my head. South side soches. Uh, well, I don't even know this or not, Pony Boy, but things are tough all over. Uh, Fabulous Fitness, of course, wanting to get some revenge on the Metro Brothers, and like we said, this feud uh, started before Fest Wrestling. I think it uh, 
actually comes from another organization that they've wrestled at. Uh, I don't want to think that any of these wrestlers wrestle anyone else. I want them all to only ever appear at Fest Wrestling. But apparently they have to pay bills, so they wrestle other places. And I guess Fest shows do happen only, you know, once so often. So that makes sense. Uh, but uh, hopefully Fabulous Fitness can get some revenge on the Metro Brothers. Their they're, Metro Brothers are just so unlikable, you want them to fail. And uh, Fabulous Fitness, of course, uh, very likable, very charismatic, very energetic, and you just want them to succeed. You like them so much. Oh, no, absolutely. I mean, you, and you got to pull for the underdog. They seem like the underdog here. Uh, Metro Brothers, just, I mean, God, just face value. Anybody that looks that much more mean than you it has to seem like they've got the upper hand, and that's what the Metros have here is just, like, violence and nastiness on their side. So good luck to Fabulous Fitness because as much as I want them to go over on the Metros, I think that's a tall order. We'll find out. Uh, this next one, it's, it's a six-man tag here. The odd pairing of Jamie Senegal with Vandal is even odder now with the addition of Treehouse Lee joining this group, making it into a trio, and they take on a group that very much belongs together. They're taking on the Carnies. Now, Vandal and Jamie Senegal did get together at the last show and decided to partner up. The misstep here is we get no explanation as to why Vandal is with Jamie Senegal and not being the lapdog of one Leon Scott in Awaken, do we know if is Wake is Awaken had they disband? Is 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 that even a thing anymore? Has it just become Leon Scott and Wolf Taylor and Vandal said f that I'm leaving and doing my own thing? Because that's that's what I'm getting here, Darren. What is the story with Vandal, aka Johnny Vandal? He's now using his full name. I don't know, man. Uh... I, first of all, I've wanted to know his real name this whole time because I remember him. I remember him being booked as Vandal or Ortagon or Ortagoon. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I remember that. Sure. And then I, I remember him being. I seen him on his on NXT as J. Period Vandal, and uh, so I, I've always wanted to. I don't like one name name. So if he's Johnny Vandal, then cool. I like it. He should be called. Um, he should be called Randall Vandal. <laughs> no good. <laughs> oh man. Um, and he should wear sandals. <laughs> and like and then like candles. Yes. Very well done. Very well done. So we have Jamie Senegal and Vandal together for reasons unknown, other than Senegal needed a tag team partner. At the last show, now we got Treehouse Lee, who who brings in his own bag of tricks. Uh, would would fit in very well. He, he is kind of a free spirit. Uh, he's a very colorful character. He fits in very well with the likes of Jamie Senegal. But now this new Vandal fits in uh, because Vandal is, has accessorized a bit more, not so dreary and drab as he was in the Awakened days. So this trio kind of makes sense now, right? Well. I don't know. Let's uh, Johnny Vandal or Vandal Ortegan or whatever you want to call him. Even when he lived in the wasteland with Leon Scott, he was he, all too often he waved the flag of Turkey 
But I think it's his freak flag that he's letting fly these days. Nice. And, you know, Treehouse Lee, I mean, he just has a certain je ne sais quoi that I think puts him in league, in, in natural lockstep league with these with this new brethren. And, you know, Johnny and Jamie, they need a, they need a treehouse. And uh, I think that the three of them are going to be a certain special alchemy that we couldn't possibly uh, have have foreseen. And uh, I think it's going to be a, a wicked combination. It's nothing easy to prepare for, so I think that might be enough to take the Carnies out. Uh, the Carnies, of course, known for having their own bag of tricks as well. So uh, we'll just see what happens. Hopefully just some fine wrestling. Uh, but man, I, I'm I'm curious about the the combination of Senegal and Vandal, uh, but love the addition of Treehouse Lee. I'm liking Treehouse Lee more and more every time I see him wrestle. Oh, I love the I love Treehouse Lee. Love Treehouse Lee from the moment I laid eyes on him. Um, and you know that I dig the three the three man carnies. I've always thought the carnies needed to be like a six or seven man faction. So at least having Trip Cassidy there. To me, it, it, it rounds some of the rough edges of a two-man uh, Carney's group. I, I think he's excellent when he's when he's paired with them. This this could be one of the best matches of the night, really. Sure. Carney's need to be a full carnival, not just a tag team. So I totally agree right. with that. Uh, we got some uh, women in action here. A fatal four-way involving the ladies. The Ultraviolet versus Harlow O'Hara versus Aria Blake versus Shotzi Blackheart. Shotzi Blackheart. We just got some eyes on her, the, the last Evolve show, uh, pulling off a very uh, very nice performance there. Like I said, the suicide dive through the chairs. I think I bet she can feel, I, I bet she can still feel that, even today. That looked pretty painful. She also had the bloody nose that I spoke of, when several people had bloody noses, yes. Yeah, and I think that she's going to bring all of those feelings, all the good and the bad feelings, and all of her wrestling repertoire Everything she could possibly throw at these other three ladies, she will. We know she's not afraid to do it. Uh, we, Like you just said, going through headfirst, through a pyramid of chairs on the WWE Network, or if it's jumping off the top rope to the hardwood floor below uh, at eight seconds for Fest Wrestling, this woman is fearless. She uses her body, every bit of her body like a weapon. She is not afraid to break herself to break you. And I don't see that stopping anytime soon. Certainly not this Sunday in Gainesville. These other three ladies better watch out. Shotzi, by all means, Shotzi should win this match. I, Shotzi Blackheart is just the baddest ass around. Sure. I, I, I would put my vote for Shotzi Blackheart as well. Aria Blake, uh, a bit on the smaller side, but she has defeated bigger foes before. Uh, C.J. O'Doyle being one of those foes. Uh, but that's because I know very little about Harlow O'Hara and uh, the Ultraviolets, but uh, they seem to be... They they look pretty tough from the poster, I will say. So it's, it is hard to call, but I'm going to go with Shotzi because between that and winning the PBR Wildman Cup as well, uh, this last go-around, I know I believe in her ability for sure. Moving on! Serpentico! That dastardly bastard! That slithering snake! That chair-swinging jerk! Uh, taking on Darius Lockhart, uh, the revolutionary Darius Lockhart. And uh, this used to be a good match. Like, <laughs> Really, I mean, I, I can't invest. 
I, I, I can I can say him for Serpentico because he's a hashtag friend of the show, but he's he's just such an asshole. Um, he's he's caused so much trouble at Fest Wrestling that you don't want to exactly cheer for him. Uh, Darius Lockhart though uh, could do no wrong. All of his matches have been stellar. Um, so I mean, it's just going to be two great wrestlers going at it. I'm really looking forward to it. I'm glad it was booked this way and it's not like in a you know not in like a six man you know type of thing or uh, you know kind of a thrown together Frankenstein tag team sort of thing. Just one on one. Everything Serpentico's got against everything Darius Lockhart's got, and I'm really looking forward to seeing what happens there. And I'm going to say no more because I'm afraid I'm going to have a whole lot to say uh, when we review this show. So I'm going to suffice it to say here and now that uh, this could also steal the show. This could be the best match of the night. Could be. Could very well be. Speaking of friends of the show, speaking of hashtag friends of the show, our boy, former Fest Wrestling Champion Effie, is in action against Jordan Grace. Jordan Grace currently on Impact Wrestling. So she's a name. What do you think, Darren? So she's a name. I don't like... Uh, you put me on the spot, Darren. You know how I feel about Jordan Grace, Darren. I'm sure Jordan Grace is a very nice person. She's a very good wrestler, by the way. Because I liked Jordan Grace back way back before she was on Impact Wrestling. Just from like random clips I'd see of her on like Twitter, on her Twitter. Jordan Grace, unfortunately, is an individual who's very outspoken on Twitter, which is fine. Uh, I know she has a lot of people, a lot of dudes, and maybe even women, who knows, slide into her DMs. And say nasty, horrible things to her. And for that, I, I that's the worst shit in the world. Sorry she has to deal with that. She turned that into a book, though, I believe. Uh, DMs of a, of a wrestler or something like that. Which is, I guess that's a one way to make a positive out of a negative. However, Jordan Grace is someone who's been very outspoken about disliking wrestling podcasts. So I can't like her. Uh, if if I, if I were a plumber and she spoke, was outspoken about how much she hates plumbers, I would also dislike her for that reason. So, and that the fact that she's fighting the hashtag best friend of the show, Effie. I'm, either, even if I even if I didn't know that she disliked wrestling podcasts, I'd still go with Effie. But now I have to double down on Effie winning this match. Well. First of all, no one should hate plumbers. Uh, no one except, of course, King Koopa. And uh, you can hear all about that. You can hear all about that on the Here's Why It's Great podcast, where I, Darren Beasley, joined host John Bring uh, on the podcast where they take what you hate and tell you why it's great. And uh, <laughs> in case you forgot, write it down now or... Add it to your up next in your podcast queue. Listen to Here's Why It's Great Super Mario Brothers. Also, I know what you mean about Jordan Grace. Um, you know, we had at our very first live version of the whole reference show at the Fest 16 uh, in the year 2017. On our panel where we had, among others, we had Effie and Chuck Taylor and Matt Cross, uh, the three of them discussed certain DMs that they would get where people wanted used underwear, used uh, 
uh, like ring Socks, gear. Socks, yeah, all kinds of stuff. Yeah. And, and like, I think it was Matt Cross had said that, or was it Matt Cross who said he had not gotten that? Or no, no, he had gotten a lot of it. Um, I think Chuck Taylor was saying he had not. Right. But he, but he wished that he was like, hell yeah, I'll sell anybody my uh, underwear. That's great. Yeah, or like, I'll, I'll come to your house and wrestle you for money. Sure. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, yeah. So it all depends on your perspective. I'm sure that uh, if Jordan Grace is bombarded by inappropriate DMs on Twitter, you know, I'm sure you can ignore it. I'm sure you can laugh at it for a little while. And then after that, you kind of ignore it. And then eventually you get sick of it. And then at some point you get maybe even offended by it. I don't know. Um, well, I mean, there, there are silly ones that I'm sure you can laugh off. But I'm sure there are like really like over the line, over the top ones that are just like, what is wrong with humanity? So I, I totally understand where she's coming from. Again, that's bad. But she has said negative things about wrestling podcasts. Darren, as a wrestling podcaster, I have to be kind of like, well, screw you, buddy. You know what I mean? No, so that's I, that. No, I do. Yeah, that's my spiel. That's my spiel, Darren. That's my spiel. No, I was leading up to that. I was leading right up to that. I completely agree with you. How could we possibly cheer for this anti-wrestling podcaster when not only does that make her fundamentally opposed to us, but she's challenging arguably hashtag best friend of the show, the golden boy of grab ass, the daddy who brought the groceries. Best wrestling favorite who has also been on our podcast, given his his time very graciously on multiple occasions, and will do so in the future. That's right, Effie. Don't think because you're more famous now, you're not going to give us the time of day, buddy. You're going to be back on the show. Um, so yeah, this might be the first time we've ever had a match with Effie where we've talked more about his opponent than Effie. Uh, so let's say some things about Effie. Again, Jordan Grace, I'm sure, is a is a very nice person. She is a good wrestler. But why all the while the wrestling podcast tape? Effie, though, the Golden Boy Grabass, former Fest Wrestling Champion, is taking on Jordan Grace. And uh man, Jordan Grace is an unknown as far as that wrestling audience goes at Fest Wrestling. Um, but Effie, very well known. So obviously he's gonna have home field advantage. Uh, and I just hope Effie can uh, roll out the win. Jordan Grace is a powerhouse. I will absolutely say that for her. Effie is Fest Wrestling. He'll be the first person to tell you that. The only person who might tell you that before he does is you and I. Sure. Um, he said it before that Fest Wrestling began with Effie. Fest Wrestling will end with Effie. Now, that last that last claim is a rather bold one um, to say that Fest Wrestling will end with Effie. Because um, I don't know exactly. There's many different ways to interpret that. But... Uh, so that one's a bit of a specious claim at best. What is not a specious claim is that Effie is daddy in Gainesville. And Jordan is exactly like you said. Jordan Grace is an unknown commodity. She, I'm sure, has quite a following. She may even have a following that we don't know about right there among that best family. But they will turn on her, I guarantee it. Because anybody Tony Weinbender puts up against Effie in that ring, in that country and western bar, is going to get booed out of the building. 
because it was not until after Effie defeated Sue Young for the Fest Wrestling Championship that the fans went back to cheering Sue. When she held that belt and she still stood across the ring from Effie with a time clock going and a decision undetermined, she was the underdog as far as that Fest Wrestling crowd goes. You just can't top Effie. Pun intended. I I will uh, I will say no more. So Effie, get in there and you show her a thing or two. Uh, tag team gold on the line. Grits with their manager, the Tommy Thomas, take on the main events. Another unknown commodity when it comes to fest wrestling. Uh, and uh, grits uh, basically out of bodies to beat up on when it comes to the fest wrestling locker room. Unfortunately, so they had to import some. Uh, they brought in the main event, and I hope they know what they're getting themselves into. I don't know anything about the main event. I I have heard of them before. As a matter of fact, I know that they're booked on more than one uh, card of significance lately. So somebody knows who they are, and somebody believes in them. Hell, Tony Weinbender believes in them. I was going to say Tony Weinbender. Obviously, if you're booked for a fest wrestling show, these these spots are precious. He doesn't just give them to anyone who, who DMs him or Gmails him or however you get in touch with Tony Weinbender these days. Uh, obviously, you have to earn them. He has to have seen you somewhere. So, yeah. So, obviously, these guys have got something going on for themselves. They're hoping to make an even bigger name for themselves in Gainesville. Grit, however, I know all too much about. I am personally terrified of them. I am professionally <laughs> terrified of them. Um, if if I don't already find myself in the back of the crowd looking for a place to sit down and rest my weary bones uh, as uh, standing up throughout this entire evening is getting harder and harder the older I get, I definitely will go run and hide when grit comes out because I don't want to be anywhere near them. I mean... I've tolerated Wolf Taylor slapping me. I've tolerated MJF <laughs> grabbing my mustache and telling me he would give me $20 to shave that silly shit off my face. <laughs> what I would not survive would be a full-on attack by TJ Boss and Montana Black. I think that might be the end of me. So uh, even not knowing what they're up against in the main event, I'm the main event, by the way, M-A-N-E. Correct, main correct, event. correct. Which, should the main event also be with the carnies? Okay, I, yeah. I understand that a carnival and a circus are not exactly the same thing, but imagine that. Imagine you also now have a lion and a lion tamer as a part of the carnies group. I think it works. I think it does uh, work. Maybe next time that uh, Fest has a 10-man tag match, they can stick the main event with the carnies. But anyway, the main event may be fantastic. I think that Grit is going to turn them into a greasy spot in Gainesville. Oh, I do think Grit's going to hang on to those tag team titles uh, because we've seen the sheer dominance uh, that Grit has uh, and will probably continue to have, sadly enough, uh, only because... I don't know. They're mean, mad men. I don't know if I like them being champions, but Lord knows there's not a whole lot of people that can oppose them at this point. Uh, that being said, there is more gold on the line, Darren. The coveted Fest Wrestling Championship title being vigorously defended by your and my Fest Wrestling Champion, Saeed Al-Sabah, 
taking on Simon Grimm, making his return to Fest Wrestling. This match I am definitely looking forward to. Yeah, me too. I This is going to be a, a, a real test for Saiv, I think. Um, I think Saiv is a much smaller man than Simon Grimm, and that is going to be something that I think is going to be a real test for Saiv. I, I, I mean, Saiv, I mean, even at Fest, he's wrestled guys bigger than him. Effie is, is a bit bigger than Saiv Al-Sabah. Not tremendously so, but... He's he's taller. He's got some inches on him. He's got he's got a a reach. Um, you know he's got a wingspan bigger than Saif. But Simon Grimm and forget everything you know about Simon Gotch from WWE, where standing next to Aiden English or standing next to Big Cass, he looked small. There's nothing small about Simon Grimm. Simon Grimm is is a solid six two six three. Um, he he is built. Forget Enzo's criticisms of his physique. Simon Grimm is big, he is built, he is tough, and he is incredibly technically proficient. And that's why I say he's going to be a challenge for Saif. Saif has faced stiff talent all along. But Simon Grimm just represents something different. He's really a different opponent, don't you think? Sure. I, I think when you say forget his WWE stuff, you are referring to the fact that he is actually a big guy. We forget that WWE wrestlers are all typically big men. It's just the biggest men look even look pretty huge around the other fellow big men. Um, but now I'm going to say do not forget uh, Simon Gotch, his WWE work, his NXT work, because that guy has wrestled a lot. And he's very proficient when it comes to wrestling in a ring. Um, and his, Yeah, he's uh, very technically sufficient... Uh, I believe he fought, uh, was it Matt Cross he fought? I believe that We Are Family. That was the first time we saw Simon Grimm at Fest Wrestling, I think. Maybe. I know that matches happened. It was either Matt Cross or it was Brody King. Okay. The first time we saw Simon Grimm, I believe, was against Brody King. But at We Are Family, he fought Matt Cross. And that was a a very good match. And, I mean, I I think Saeed and Matt Cross are kind of birds of the same feather because... They they both have that aerial game they kind of rely on. So Simon Grimm made that a very technical submission hold on the ground type of match, and he might do the same thing with Saif. Only only you know difference there is you know the Matt Cross match against Simon Grimm. There was bragging rights on the line. This time it's a Fest Wrestling Championship belt. So Saif needs to be careful because Simon Grimm is definitely not a pushover. Now, what I'm about to say may sound a little bit like I'm speaking out of turn or I'm coming out of left field because this is not typically part of the conversation we have when we talk about fest wrestling. Hey, all all kidding aside, all um, catchphrases aside, we really are, we really are the only wrestling podcast that calls it right down the middle. Too many wrestling podcasts are just hate, you know, hate speech, they're they're soapboxes, or they are kayfabe shills for a company. You know, we call it right down the middle here on this podcast. But that's not to say that we can't sneak kayfabe in here and there, and we do a lot. We do quite a bit when it comes to fast wrestling. It's because we are such a part of that program, and we have been for a long, long time. 
So I'm going to actually speak outside of the realms of kayfabe a little bit here because we talked about it from a wrestling standpoint already, this main event here for Xmas July 3. We talked about it from a wrestling perspective. Hashtag if wrestling were real. Um, from a business standpoint, however, I'm going to just because of this particular matchup is why I bring this up. Simon Grimm is, is, is a big name. Simon Grimm is uh, a very well-known commodity. He is a real talent. He is a, he, you know, he is a face, not a baby fat wrestling terminology, baby face, but just a face. He belongs on a poster, et cetera, et cetera. So does Saeed, just not on the level that Simon Grimm has already been and maybe and maybe again one day. Um, nevertheless, Simon Grimm is not homegrown. Uh, Fest did not create Saeed, but Saeed incubated in Fest much the way a lot of people have, and they have uh, risen to the top. They've been given uh, an arena to grow and develop and become something really special. That's just not the case for someone like Simon Grimm. He's a superstar stopping by. Now, he means business. He has every intention of applying his craft to the best of his ability. He wants to win. He wants to make money. He wants to contribute. He wants to be seen and be remembered. But he's not homegrown. He's not Fest family. And so that's another reason to, to go with Saeed here. Saeed is going to defend his home turf. Effie always said that Fest is home. I think that Fest is just as much home to Saeed. Um, if she ever decides to return home, I feel like Fest is home for Sue Young. You know, I just don't feel that Fest is home for Simon Grimm. He's a welcome visitor, but I just don't see him leaving with the championship. Sure. No, I, I understand all of that. That makes total sense. Um, does it mean does, does it mean more to Simon Grimm to beat Saeed Al-Sabah or be Fest Wrestling Champion? I think it might mean more just to beat his next opponent and continue being Simon Grimm and build up the, the lore, the legend of Simon Grimm. So I understand. So it's whenever there is a wrestling match with someone who maybe is just stopping by uh, who, you know, well, then, then again, you have people who have made multiple appearances. You know, I, I would put Leva Bates in that boat and Joey Ryan in that boat a year ago, but they've come by quite a few times. There are only so many Fest Wrestling shows in a calendar year, so they're kind of becoming Fest favorites, you know what I mean? Because they've made enough stops. This is the third stop for Simon Grimm. So I see what you're saying, but maybe Fest Wrestling is starting to mean something to Simon Grimm. Maybe eventually he could be someone you want to put that belt on. Someone who would beam with pride holding that Fest Wrestling Championship up high or around the waist or around the shoulder, whatever. Uh, so I get that. But Saeed Al-Sabah, though, like, he has become such a big part of Fest that like you you want him to hold on to that belt, you know, not because he's just a damn good wrestler and so goddamn likable, but because he is all things Fest. So I totally get your point. And again, looking forward to this match. You got to tell me all about it because I'm stuck here in Los Angeles, Darren. You actually will have the ability to go to the show, and I can't wait to hear all about it. What you will tell us all about it, me and our hashtag dear listeners, uh, at our next episode. Uh, that's the, the Fest Review episode next week. Tune back in. 
Definitely. I will be here to tell you and everyone all about it because I will be there live in attendance this Sunday, the 28th of July, 2019, for Fest Wrestling's Xmas in July 3 at 8 Second Saloon, downtown Gainesville, Florida, beautiful Hogtown, the home of the University of Florida Gators, uh, as much as I loathe them. Uh, I have come to love... <laughs> I have come to love that gem of North Central Florida. That is Gainesville. You're just in the middle of the woods, and then all of a sudden you're in the middle of the swamp. And uh, it's a hell of a town with a hell of an independent wrestling organization we are so happy to be so intimately involved with. And uh, I, I hope to get uh, intimate this Sunday. Ah, yes. Wait, wait what? <laughs> well, hey, you never know. You might you might meet the right person, Darren. But uh for all you fans in the vicinity, or if you got to make a bit of a drive, do yourself a favor and do it, man. Drive to Gainesville, Florida on Sunday. Get your tickets now, festwrestling.com. Be there or be stuck in Los Angeles, where I am. Uh, it's a bit of a drive for me, folks, so that's why I'm going to I'm gonna miss this one. But uh, see Darren, see all of our friends at the show. Go, uh, go say hi to Rich Bokini, uh, Max Gregg, Effie, Saeev. The whole bunch, Leon Scott, even though he's a big jerk, uh, <laughs> he's nice sometimes, you never know. Uh, but it should be a lot of fun. It, it's a, it's always a party at Fest Wrestling, and unfortunately I'll be missing the party. But Darren, you party for me. I will do it, baby. Party punk equality wrestling uh, like only Fest Wrestling can provide. So of course we're all looking forward to the next Fest Wrestling show, but we must now look back. At the last WWE Network Exclusive slash Pay-Per-View Extreme Rules, Darren, you and I went head-to-head head to head. with our predictions, and now we're going to see what the damage is. Hashtag, dear listeners, we are the Coda, and you are listening to the only wrestling podcast that calls it right down the middle... The whole Show! Perry, you and I went head-to-head... Head-to-head. ...a couple of weeks ago when we made our picks for WWE Extreme Rules. Well, now is the time to see how the cookie crumbled. Because on Sunday, the 14th of July, 2019... WWE did put on the network-exclusive Extreme Rules show from the Wells Fargo Center in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. They had advertised 10 matches. They delivered 13. So (laughs) They overdid it. We can only cover, as far as counting, as far as seeing how we fared with our picks, we can only count the 10 that were advertised. We will do that but we will also sprinkle in the matches as they occurred. We will present them in a chronological order. Uh, We will discuss the ones that uh, were put in by surprise or put in at the last minute, et cetera, et cetera. Right, but just consider those those matches, matches that we would have picked correctly had we known, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, We ordered 10, we got 13. It's like a happy accident when you go to, like, Taco Bell and they think they got your order right, but really they gave you extra tacos without you even realizing... Without even them realizing, actually. Um, and so you drive away going, ha, 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 fools. Uh, that being said, I'm not, I have not had Taco Bell in over 10 years. Continue on, Darren. 
but you know, if and if you you dear listener don't like Taco Bell or don't have one nearby, um, just insert another restaurant. Insert another fast food restaurant that also sells tacos. <laughs> Jack in the Box, Burger King, they sell tacos now. I just love some. yeah, of course. I, I just love that uh, Jack in the Box is a is a burger place, but they're kind of known for their tacos. And Del Taco is a taco place, but their burgers are actually really good. So, Del Taco has burgers. Oh man, a double Del? Are you kidding me, Darren? Don't tempt me, Frodo. I I never knew Del Taco had burgers. I know all too well that Jack in the Box <laughs> has, has disgustingly delicious tacos. We had Jack in the Box. We both share a common first timers at Jack in the Box experience. We had it. When we were driving cross country, when I was moving to Los Angeles, we had it in Tennessee. Is that correct? Memphis, Tennessee. There you go. That's right. August of two thousand five, which was also the last time I had Taco Bell. Was the third day of that trip when we had Taco Bell, and I was so disgusted by it, I said, "I'm never eating Taco Bell again," and I have not had it since. You know, speaking of regional fast food, did you see the whole In and Out <laughs> Burger? This podcast is absurd. Sorry, what? Go ahead. Did you, did you see the whole In-N-Out Burger fiasco? The one that appeared in Queens, New York on the street? No. You didn't see that story? God, it's been everywhere. Apparently, a fully intact, um, dare I say picturesque, In-N-Out Burger, um, halfway in the wrapper, was found on the street... Uh, in the in Queens, New York City, um, like a week ago. Well, you know, In and Out Burger is famous, famously a, a West Coast Pacific fast food chain. However, there are some as far east as uh, Missouri and Texas, but those are still a far cry from New York City. So, people took pictures of it lying in the road. And everybody was like, is this some sort of publicity stunt? Is this viral marketing? Um, is this, you know, is, is In-N-Out doing it? Is a person doing it? Well, if it wasn't, the- it is now. Oh, absolutely. Sure. It wasn't. Apparently, it was truly an accident. Some girl uh, who lives in Queens had taken a trip to San Diego um, and had decided to order three In-N-Out burgers to take back home with her. Um, and I don't, I, I mean, it's, it's really kind of a dumb story once the mystery was, uh, unraveled because at first it was just like, did this fall from the sky? Is it manna from heaven? <laughs> no, it's just an in and out burger in, on the street in Queens. But so some yeah. girl dropped a $2 and 49 cent hamburger in the street and it gave in and out burger more, pub- more publicity than they would get from like a commercial campaign. That's absurd. Uh, that's oh, absurd. absolutely. Yes. Well, you know, that's the internet for you. But uh, anyway, very interesting story that has nothing to do with anything except that now <laughs> I not only want an In-N-Out burger, I also want some tacos from Jack in the Box. Oh man! And there is not a Jack in the Box or an In-N-Out burger. It, within seven hours of where I am. Darren, guess what I had for lunch yesterday? Jack in the Box and In-N-Out? In-N-Out Burger. I did okay. have In-N-Out Burger. My, my cousin, my little cousin, 
uh, visited from Georgia. Alex, you know him. You've known him all your life. Uh, <laughs> or all of his life, anyway. He's young. I've known him. I've known, yeah, right. Correct, I've known correct. him all of his life. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So they wanted to go to In-N-Out Burger, so we did that. I had not been in there in years, and it is still pretty darn good, I must say. Well, let me ask you, uh, in addition to the brightly colored, uh, easily recognizable red and white and maybe yellow um, outer wrapper that made it uh, so identifiable in the street in Queens. Does it they still, still have, have the, the inner, inner brown uh, wrapper? Yes, they do, Darren. Yeah, yes, they, they still do. have the inner greasy brown wrapper that looks like hobo underwear. Yes, I believe the joke was it looked like hobo underwear. That's H O B O, by the way. Uh, just in case, <laughs> just in case people haven't heard that term, I've I've gotten in trouble for that before, or someone didn't know what a hobo was. It's a it's a uh, a, uh, a, a man with no money, basically. Uh, or a woman, I guess. Anywho, uh, Extreme Rules, Darren. <laughs> right, 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 right. Well, they opened up the show with a match that was not announced. And it was on the pre-show. And none of that makes any sense when I tell you what it was. It was an intercontinental championship match between the champion Finn fucking Balor and challenger Shensuke Nakamura. This could have been the main event in this or any other wrestling company on planet Earth. Instead, it is a pre-show match, unadvertised. I'm furious at this match's existence in this place. Well, I, you, you know, you, I don't have to say anything. You know how upset I am at the whole idea. Uh, but I guess Finn Balor found out the hard way what happens when you ask for, quote, a little time off. Uh, <laughs> you drop your belt immediately on a pre-show. Uh, no shame in dropping it to Shinsuke Nakamura, by the way. Uh, which, that I like that a lot, that Shinsuke is the new Intercontinental Champion. I wish that... I wish uh, the Intercontinental Championship was still the Intercontinental Championship because it's not anymore, especially it being um, uh, defended and and lost on uh, unannounced on the pre-show of a pay-per-view. But it is what it is. Shinsuke Nakamura is your new IC champion. That was unannounced, as we said a couple times already, so there was no pick, so we move on. There was a pick for the next match. It was the second pre-show match. And, of course, this was the match between cruiserweight champion Drew Gulak, Drew Gulak. And, his, and his opponent, Tony Nese For the cruiserweight belt, the night after, in a non-title match, Gulak fell to Matt Riddle across town in Philadelphia at the ECW Arena. But on this night, Gulak is victorious. We were correct in our pick that he would defeat Tony Nese and retain the championship. And so he does. Right. We said that he would drop, or he, he would, well, we said that he would lose to Riddle, but still retain the title the next night, and that's exactly what happened, Darren. Well, the show kicks off properly with the first match of the real show, the third match of the night, The Undertaker. <laughs> the fact that this opens the show, by the way, boggles my mind. But to continue... The Undertaker and Roman Reigns take on the team of Shane McMahon and Drew McIntyre in a no-holds-barred match. 
Um, I don't really know what to say about this match. The Undertaker probably should only ever wrestle in tag matches. They're going to keep making him wrestle because it does allow him to rest. Um, it allows a hot tag to make him seem important beyond just the entrance. Um, it gives him a little time, I think, to mentally recoup uh, and therefore perform a little bit stronger. So Taker looked better in this than he has in a singles match in a very long time. Sure, the pairing makes no sense. Taker should hate Roman Reigns for beating him at WrestleMania. Um, I mean, I understand that he respects Roman Reigns in spite of it, but there's no reason for him to come back to defeat, you know what, I don't like that smart mouth Shane McMahon at all. I'm going to help you beat him up. Like, it's it's dumb. It, it's it's a bad use of The Undertaker. Um, I like him fighting the likes of, like, Drew McIntyre because size-wise, like, they stood in the ring together and, and they were eye-to-eye. Um, that's neat, but McIntyre doesn't have the star power to, to waste Taker on, which I hate to say, but it's kind of accurate. Um, at this point, Taker should only fight legends, right? I mean, that's kind of... Well... I don't know that I agree with that. I, I'll say that Undertaker doesn't need to be fighting anyone. Well, no, I we've said long ago that he should have retired at WrestleMania 33. But even so, if he's going to be around, I think he's better off fighting people like Drew McIntyre than he is fighting people like Goldberg. Um, well, Goldberg's I, a bad example because Goldberg's a horrible wrestler. He's another person that you don't want to see wrestle, but like... Like, Triple no, H versus Taker, even though we've seen it a billion times, that, that makes sense. Um, because Triple H, at least in his own mind, is a legend. Um, <laughs> take that, Triple H. I mean, it's, I don't know. It's <laughs> If The Undertaker's going to wrestle more than once a year, then I don't mind it. Because then it makes him look like he's supposed to be a part of the roster. And if you're a part of the roster, then guess what? You might get booked in a match. You know? Sure. Um, if he's only going to wrestle once a year at WrestleMania, then sure, it can be some never-before-seen or ultimate comeback or ultimate revenge or legend versus legend. But if he's going to wrestle four or five times a year, then he needs to mix it up with the younger guys so that it seems legitimate that he's there at all. Yeah, I, I, can, yeah. Get, I can get behind that. But the most absurd part of this is that, oh... Roman Reigns needs The Undertaker to defeat Shane McMahon and Drew McIntyre. That's the part that doesn't sit well with me, let alone the placement of this match on the card, which, by the way, Taker and Roman Reigns do defeat uh, McMahon and um, McIntyre for all the reasons that I said last time, which is if these two do not go over on McMahon and McIntyre, then there is a serious problem here. Uh, so, yeah, they, they do go over on them, so... The Revival took on the Usos in the fourth match of the evening, the second match of the regular show. And uh, the Revival wins the match. They go in as the Raw Tag Team Champions, and they leave as the Tag Team Champions. I was so proud of both you and I picking the Revival because oh, yeah. we, even, we even stated every time we pick against the Usos, we're wrong. And we still, we were like, fuck it, got it. We, it just, it felt wrong to follow that logic. And the logic would have failed us. Um, so we both picked the Revival, and the Revival do win. We did it! Next up, 
the fifth match of the evening. Alistair Black takes on the one who knocks. That, of course, is Cesaro. Well, he should have rung the doorbell. <laughs> Alistair Black, basically, I, I after the Ali and Ricky days, of which you and I made great fun, uh, <laughs> had great fun with the idea of a buddy cop show with uh, Alistair Black and Ricochet. Uh, Ricochet's gone off and done his own thing, become the United States champion, then lost the United States championship. <laughs> Spoiler alert. But Alistair Black, meanwhile, was sort of inexplicably sidelined. Um, they certainly weren't repackaging him or anything, but they, they put him into some vignettes where he was in the dark and he wanted uh, somebody to challenge him to a fight. Wouldn't fight until someone challenged him. Turns out it was Cesaro. And I'm glad it was Cesaro because this was a badass match. Great, great match. Uh, really, really good. Um, there's not a whole lot to say besides just go watch the fucking match because it is a very good match. Yeah, this is a must-see match. There's no reason for us to describe it. Put on your WWE Network, pull up Extreme Rules 2019, and only watch this match. You don't need to watch any other match on this card. Yeah, I was afraid because uh, mid-match they, they both start like, oh, because they're working on each other's legs. So I was really fearing, like, oh, they're gonna fucking, they're gonna fake leg injuries, and it's gonna take away half of their fucking arsenal. Because uh, I mean, Alistair Black's a very lower body throwing the kicks type of guy. Cesaro is a very upper body throwing punches and uppercuts kind of guy. Um, but I, I love how adaptable Cesaro is. Where like he, he adapts his own offense to be like kind of like suit who he's fighting. Like when he bounces off the the second rope into like a flying. Uh, European uppercut. It was like, oh man, that's so Cesaro. But it's such a nod to what Alistair Black does. Like, so well done. So, so well done. And uh, Cesaro shows you some of his strength when uh, a flying Alistair Black comes at him and he, he he has to like counter the move and maybe turns it into like a power bomb or something like that. Oh, no, 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 no. He, he, he holds up Alistair Black who is like all but falling over but Cesaro is so fucking strong he's able to like right him and hold him up and then throw him straight up in the air. And when Alistair Black comes down, hit him with that European uppercut on the way down. Like, oh my God, so good. So well done. Like, it is just a really good match. No one throws that European uppercut anymore, period. And they certainly don't like Cesaro does. Cesaro makes it look like it is ringing the bell every time. Um, he, he may be the best ever. I used to love watching... Uh, Lord Steven Regal, now known as William Regal, do the European uppercut. But even he, um, his was kind of a, a stiff, strong style, standing European uppercut. Maybe he came off the ropes um, every now and then. But to see Cesaro do it is a is a thing of beauty. It is a work of art all unto itself. No, absolutely. Uh, Cesaro does lose the match, though, to Aleister Black. And I, I will say one last thing about Cesaro. The way he sells the black mass at the end, the uh, that spinning uh, roundhouse kick that Alistair Black does, beautiful, beautifully done. And something we talk about on the show every now and again is, you know, it, it's important to look good and wrestle well, and it's it's always great to win the match. But putting over your opponent, putting over their abilities, is such an equal part of that equation that it's often overlooked, and Cesaro is very good at doing the moves and also taking them. So, well done. Hats off to both both these performers, both these gentlemen. 
yeah, stealing the show, wrestling the best match. It's got got to give him full credit for that. Um, so far, we are correct in our choices. We are doing very well in this head to head. Head to head. Yeah. Next up, Bailey defends her SmackDown Live Women's Championship in a handicap match against Alexa Bliss and Nikki Cross. And while we were discussing this last week, uh, I was really torn as to which direction I was going to go. And I changed my pick twice while we were talking about it. Uh, But to see it actually uh, turn out the way we wanted, the way we chose... Um, I was still, I still was a bit surprised. Sure. Well, I had to, I had to help you there because you were about to pick incorrectly, but I was like, no, it's just going to be lame. Nikki Cross is going to take the fall, which is exactly what happens. I don't know why Alexa Bliss needs help to beat Bailey. I don't like Bailey as an aggressor. I like her much better as like a, you know, someone you want to get behind who like, you know, isn't very sure of herself or whatever, but her as like a mean Bailey and like with the belt, like just doesn't work for me. Bailey's the kind of girl that you you never want to actually see with a title. You want to see her get many chances and, and come close but never get it. Like, like a Tommy Dreamer in ECW, who eventually did become champion, by the way. Um, so that when it finally does happen, it's like, oh my god, finally! You know what I mean? So, I don't know. It, it's, it's how do you solve a problem like Bailey, Darren? But I don't understand why it takes Alexa Bliss and Nikki Cross. I don't like that Nikki Cross is acting like a normal human being either to defeat Bailey, and they can't even get the job done. Then, of course, Nikki Cross takes the fall, so Alexa Bliss doesn't have to. And now we have Bailey as the, the reigning uh, SmackDown Live champion. That's right. She retains. Next up, a last man standing match. I guess this is kind of extreme. Braun Strowman takes on Bobby Lashley. Now, these guys have been feuding for what seems like forever, but it's been pretty good. I haven't had a lot of complaints about it. It... It's what two giant men should be doing when they are feuding with one another. Uh, tug of war, arm, uh, arm wrestling, a regular match. And then, okay, now we have, you know, no DQ. Now we have last man standing, which, you know, is, is sort of no DQ, but upping the ante. Because now it's no DQ to the point where I'm going to beat you until you can't stand up anymore. Right. And I don't even have to pin you. just to knock you down. Basically knock you out because it's a 10-second count you have to respond to. And Strowman and Lashley in this kind of match made for a good match. It was a really good match. I mean, we just talked about how great the match between Aleister Black and Cesaro was because their abilities are just phenomenal as far as like wrestling goes. But as far as this being just two big men throwing gas at each other and everything else at each other, uh, you know, tables and... Uh, merchandise tables and I guess any kind of table um, or like throwing each other up against walls and what have you battling in the arena going into the the lobby area um, it's this match was exactly what it needed to be and we talked about that how that they already kind of upped the ante a little too much on the weekly program with these two guys with them going through like the uh, the uh, electronic wall or whatever um, and this match was great. Like it was physical. My mouth dropped several times watching it. Um, so it was it was perfectly executed. And uh, Lashley does take the fall here because they need to build Strowman back up. Um, I don't think it hurts Lashley at all to lose to Braun Strowman, but I think if if Strowman lost, it would have hurt Strowman. So they were right to let uh, Braun win this one. Couldn't agree more. 
Uh, and we both picked Strowman to win, so we're still doing pretty darn good. We well, should stop uh, right there. Undefeated and retire. Next up, we have a triple threat tag team match for the SmackDown Live Tag Team Championships. Who are your champions? Why, Daniel Bryan and Rowan. Why? Right, now, that I can't answer. Sure. They will take on Big E and Xavier Woods, representing the New Day, and the team of Tucker and Otis, of Milo and Otis, the team <laughs> Heavy Machinery. And uh, I know that we picked Machinery to win because we thought it was the time to take it off of Brian and Rowan. It felt like the time to take it off of Brian and Rowan because what are they doing? Uh, we definitely did not see the New Day winning this match because why would they? You know, Kofi already has the, the championship, so are they really going to load down the New Day with that much gold? We said nay. WWE said yay, and our heavy machinery pick was incorrect as the New Day wins the SmackDown Live Tag Team titles. Yeah, much in the same way that this is what happens when Finn Balor says, I need some time off from uh, from work, Vince. He loses the belt immediately. Uh, this is what happens when <laughs> Daniel Bryan does an interview and mentions, yeah, when this contract's out, I'm not going to renew it. I'm probably going to step away from wrestling for a bit. Oh, is that right? You're taking the fall, not Rowan. You're going to get pinned uh, in this match and lose those belts to the New Day. The only way this makes it kind of cool is now that the New Day, since they must stay together for whatever reason, now the New Day has all this gold, which makes it kind of cool. Um, because I guess Kofi has so much and the rest of them kind of have nothing. So I guess it's, it's nice for them to have the tag team belts. It just it doesn't mean anything. Because again, they've held the belt so many times, and they held they've the longest reign as tag team champions in WWF slash WWE. So, what more do you want? But they're youngish, and they're pretty young guys still, and there's probably more tag team gold in their future. But eh, I, I'd have given it to Heavy Machinery. That's why I picked him. But we got that one wrong, Darren. Hope you're happy. Well, I, I would I I would not have given it to Heavy Machinery. I just picked them because I thought that's what they would do. I don't like heavy machinery, so I would not. <laughs> I would have booked Brian and Rowan to retain because I think if they came up with an actual gimmick with actual outside of the arena vignettes or even backstage regular clothes vignettes with Brian and Rowan, they could be awesome. But instead, they don't even have promo to explain who they are and what they are and why they are much less any demonstration, and that is doing them an injustice because they deserve a story for being together. But you know Daniel Bryan doesn't give a shit, so that's why. He's just there for a paycheck until he's done, done. He's fulfilling his contractual obligations, and he's done, Darren. I don't like it. Okay. Next up, Ricochet, your U.S. champion, fights AJ Styles. I guess I already spoiled this one, didn't I? You did, you did. Uh, Richard O'Shea. Uh, it's a it's a very good match. It's a match you would see on Raw because it already happened on Raw a couple times. Uh, <laughs> that's why. Um, yeah, Richard O'Shea is forced to to wrestle Alan Jackson Styles, <laughs> the, the country singer, and 
and uh, he loses. He does. He drops the belts, and uh, the club isn't really a factor. Uh, Gallows and Anderson, they beat up on Ricochet at the beginning of the match, before the match begins, but when it comes to the rest of the match, they never do anything, so AJ more or less cleanly goes over on Ricochet. I don't know why you would have this... Much like Nakamura and Balor would have been a really cool addition to the pre-show had it not already happened on SmackDown Live. Um, because you've already seen it, it's kind of like, eh. But that's the same thing with this one. It's, it's, it's a great matchup, but you already gave it away on the weekly show. What were you thinking? And now the belt's off Ricochet. So what does that mean for Ricochet? We picked Ricochet to retain. So we lost this one as well, Darren. We were doing so well. What were we thinking? I don't know. Back to back after getting the first seven correct, we had back to back incorrect picked here, uh, and that's pretty discouraging. But uh, we did turn things around. We did turn things around, but not in the next match because we didn't. The next match we didn't even know it existed. They snuck in a tenth match here when Kevin Owens taking on Dolph Ziggler. Don't call this a match. <laughs> they, they did. Okay. So bell rings. Owens hits Dolph Ziggler with a stunner and pins him instantly. The end. Take that, Dolph Ziggler. How dare you come help us out with the main event opponent with Kofi Kingston. And that's how we're going to treat you. Welcome back. Yeah, yeah, I have no idea what the hell they were thinking here. Yeah, way to make Dolph Ziggler look like shit. He was a credible threat against your WWE champion, Kofi Kingston, a month ago. And now he takes a stunner and is out. Done. I, I don't, that's, I'm not a huge fan of Dolph Ziggler, but that's shitty. You don't do that. No, I'm, I, I get it. I see what this does for Kevin Owens, but it does unnecessary, like, irrevocable damage to, to Dolph Ziggler. So, yeah, I, I, I agree. Just don't even do it. Don't squeeze this in here. Just have Kevin Owens go on a rampage backstage. You know, and he doesn't even have to attack Dolph Ziggler. He could just attack staff members. Or, hell, he attacked Lucha House Party. They're not doing anything. <laughs> and the match after this, however, we did go head-to-head. Head-to-head. Because, lo and behold, they booked this. It was their WWE Championship match. As WWE champion Kofi Kingston defended against Samoa Joe. And even though we both desperately wished Samoa Joe could win, we knew it was not going to happen in a world. And therefore, Kofi Kingston was our pick. And Kofi Kingston was our wrecked pick. That's right. Kofi Kingston going over on Samoan Joseph uh, cleanly and made it look somewhat easy which I don't like. And I don't like that they're jobbing Samoa Joe out for all these WWE title opportunities. It hurts my heart. He deserves better than that. But we knew that he wasn't going to be the one that takes the belt off of Kofi. So it is what it is. We got it right. Hey, it's overlining. We did, we did get it right. And I, I too, I do hate that they, that he's jobbing out. He's being jobbed out here, but at least he's getting the shots. It's nice to see Samoa Joe is the number one contender to the WWE title or Samoa Joe is fighting Rey Mysterio or AJ Styles. I mean, not that we didn't see plenty of Samoa Joe versus AJ Styles and TNA 
12 years ago. Sure. But you know what I mean. I like seeing Samoa Joe have this much exposure. Sure, I wish he'd win some of these damn matches. But just seeing him in some of these positions is pretty satisfying to me, to be honest. What is really surprising is seeing the WWE title and the Universal title back-to-back in the penultimate match and the main event. This is two pay-per-views in a row that they've done that, and that is not the norm. That is far from the norm these days. It's not the norm. It's not the Cliff. It's not the Diane. It's not the Sam. It's not the Frazier. You're right. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you. It's not, it's not cheers. It's not cheers. It never will be. Um, but yeah, so, so now that that match is decided, the main event. Now, the main event is a little weird, a little wonky, um, but I like it. I liked it on paper. Um, I liked it in its execution. Seth Rollins, the Universal Champion, and his on-screen and off-screen girlfriend, Raw Women's Champion Becky Lynch, in an intergender, or no, I'm sorry, not an intergender match, a mixed tag match, took on challengers Baron Corbin and Lacey Evans. Now, this was billed as a last chance, winners take all, mixed tag match for the Universal title and the Raw women's title. Now, what that meant was that Seth could only fight Baron, Becky could only fight Lacey. If one of them tagged into their partner, the other was forced to tag in. As we've said before, the ass-backward part of this whole thing is it eliminates hot tags. It eliminates saving tags. Um, It eliminates the entire need for a tag format. It might as well be two singles matches happening concurrently. Because it's not actually a tag team match. Tag team rules do not apply. The only thing that applies across the board is the outcome. But if the stakes cannot be controlled by both teams, it seems odd that the outcome could be. Sure. I I agree with about 80% of that. Because I thought, why would you ever tag your teammate if it meant just a fresh person comes in? But if you're on the if you're on the losing end during the match and you need to tag out or you're going to get hit with a finisher and pinned, it makes sense to get the hot tag so that you're you know you're you're giving your team another chance. So it does make sense in that respect. But at the same time, it, it does kind of take away. I mean, you just want this to be if if it's going to be a man and a woman versus a man and a woman, then I think everyone should just fight each other. It's all a big fake fight anyway. You see. Suspension of disbelief and all that stuff. <laughs> That's what wrestling is built on. Uh, so just have them all go at it. And, and, you know, there is some interaction with Baron Corbin and uh, Becky Lynch, where Becky Lynch takes the deep six uh, from Baron Corbin, and everyone's like, ooh, hiss, you hit a woman. But it's wrestling. And uh, you should be more upset at the fact that when uh, Lacey Evans goes to hit Becky Lynch with a chair, she has it raised above her head, and Becky Lynch hits her, and Lacey Evans just drops the chair on top of Becky Lynch's head and gives her that gnarly goose goose egg, as uh, Renee pointed out, uh, for the whole match. Uh, that was very unprofessional. She should have thought through that one. Um, beyond that, the match is pretty good. There's a lot of hubbub about the fact that uh, Lacey Evans has Seth's name on uh, on embroidered on her uh, on the ass of her uh, wrestling attire. 
Um, but I mean, that's just mind games. Go back and look at uh, old Rick Rude matches where he has like the ultimate warrior's head on the crotch of his pants. It's, just, it's mind games. It's totally fine. I like that. I like seeing that actually. So that's fine by me. Yeah, there was also a lot of hubbub and ballyhoo and brouhaha when the cameraman decided to take it upon himself uh, in the style in which he would show us that it was Seth that had been embroidered upon the seat of her pants as he zoomed in extremely close while Lacey Evans decided to climb into the ring. And wow, holy jeez. Um, PG era be damned. Uh, that was quite a shot. I mean, it's it's more to to show you what's written on her on her derriere. Uh, I think it was uh, okay. Okay, is it? The thing is, most of these women are in very good shape, and they look very very good because they have to be in very good shape to do their jobs. So yes, they're gonna have phenomenal bodies. That that that's a byproduct of the business, right? Um, maybe the cameraman took his own liberties with how he zoomed in, perhaps. I don't know. Um, but I think the shot was more so to illustrate the fact that she had Seth written on her, the back of her trunks. Um, so the fact that she's an attractive woman with a nice backside, people would say. I'm not saying that, but I think a lot of people would probably say that about Lacey Evans. Um... It wasn't so much the sexualization of Lacey Evans as much as it was showing off that Seth's on the back. But a lot of the guys were like, oh, but she she has a nice body. I'm just now noticing this about Lacey Evans. So I don't know. It, it, it's, a, it's a weird area, but I think for the most part, it was so you could see that she had what she had written on her back. Her opponent's, her opponent's boyfriend's name. It's mind games. Let it go, people. Let it go. Fuck. Well... This match was better than it had any right to be. It was actually a good match. Um, and there were parts of it that were very extreme. Um, I will hand it to all four of them, the, the, the double table spot with Seth uh, going through Baron on a table and Becky going through Lacey on a table uh, almost simultaneously. Uh, that was incredible. Sure. So that was, that was good. Um, Again, Lacey Evans taking the deep six from Baron Corbin. I felt bad for Baron Corbin because Seth Rollins had to, of course, Hulk up. And then he grabbed that kendo stick and whacked Baron Corbin way too hard about ten times. I was like, no, Seth, it's not real. It's not real. Calm down. Um, And, of course, a couple curb stomps and does put away Baron Corbin. So they get to retain their championships, which both were up for grabs, by the way, in the event that they lost the match. Baron Corbin would have been Universal Champion. Lacey Evans would have been Raw Women's Champion. All for naught, they get to hold on to their titles. Whoa, not so fast, Seth Rollins. Not so fast. Because earlier in the night, Paul Heyman does come out and he does declare that Brock Lesnar will be cashing in the Money in the Bank later on in the night. I think a lot of people thought maybe, and there was a chant for Lesnar during the Kingston match, that maybe he would have swerved us all and taken it from Kingston, which would have been brilliant, by the way. That would have been nuclear heat for Brock Lesnar. Man, that should have happened instead. Instead, we get uh, Lesnar coming out and just taking out an unprepared uh, Seth Rollins. Makes short work Seth Rollins. Pin Seth Rollins. Becomes the new, old, universal champion. Um, Exciting in the moment, but I'm uh, just... I'm so tired of Brock Lesnar at this point until they decide to do something different with him. 
maybe with Paul Heyman being the creative director of Raw and with Paul Heyman being friends with Lesnar in real life, maybe that dual power uh, and that dual influence will make this reign for Lesnar a bit more entertaining uh, or impactful or anything. I want anything that'll make it different than the last two or three years because they've been unbearable. Lesnar the past two or three years has been unbearable. He is taking up, uh, he's either, he, he's either not holding up his end of the bargain or when he is there, he's taking up space. Sure. And so either way, like I want him to be there more. And then when he is there, I don't want him to be there. So I kind of just don't want him to be there. I think a lot of people feel that way. It, it's a lot like, uh, when they rebooted the X-Men movie franchise and then in the next one, they decided to bring in the old X-Men actors. And now I don't know, wait, did you reboot it? Or is it just the old with the new now? What's happening? You rebooted it and recast everything, but now you brought in the old actors, so now you didn't reboot it. Uh, it's confusing. That's exactly what's happening with Lesnar. You said, all right, new era of WWE. No, it's the old era all over again. Uh, nothing has changed whatsoever. So that is that, folks. And that's it for our head-to-head. Head-to-head. We did pretty well, Darren. We did. Now, of course, the Lesnar thing could not have been uh, picked properly because even if we had predicted it, uh, if it's not set in stone, we simply don't hold ourselves accountable for it uh, and we don't make predictions for rumored matches. Therefore, all we can do is go by the 10 that were previously announced and in the doing so, we made all the same picks, so we finish eight and two. Holla at you boys. That's pretty damn good. Now, that means there were three outliers, so we were eight and two. And then you can either say we were eight, two, and three, or you can say we were eight, two, and then put three in parentheses. Nevertheless. I like that, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so we did very well. Um, we know what we're talking about. Uh, that's why we have a wrestling podcast. Um, and that's why we call it right down the middle because we know our stuff. We've seen a lot of this stuff. Uh, a lot of times we make picks we don't like, but we just simply know it's the truth. We know that it is the way that wrestling goes. And if it walks like a jobber and it talks like a jobber, probably a jobber. <laughs> Fair enough, man. Darren, we covered a lot of wrestling in this episode uh evolve aew fest wrestling wwe and uh we did a pretty pretty good job i think giving everything it's due again looking forward i mean it's it's nice looking back at the the shows that have happened finally getting to those we took a week off because you know what happens happens uh but looking forward again to fest wrestling and ladies and gentlemen are you looking forward to fest wrestling let us know. There are a lot of ways you can let us know. Find us on Twitter at Refn Show Podcast. That's R-E-F-N-S-H-O-W. P-O-D-C-A-S-T. Find us on Facebook. Like and share. We'd appreciate it. Send us a Gmail if you want to. Why not? The whole Refn Show at gmail.com. T-H-E-W-H-O-L-E-R-E-F-N-S-H-O-W at gmail.com. Or, or you can find us, as always, on Instagram at The Whole Refn Show. T H E. W-H-O-L-E-R-E-F-N-S-H-O-W. That's right, ladies and gentlemen. We do appreciate you spending some time with us here on the Only Wrestling Podcast. That calls it right down the middle, the whole Refn Show. By the way, my name is Perry Smith. 
And I am the incredible badass that is Darren Beasley. And the incredible badass Darren Beasley might see you in Gainesville this Sunday. If not, he will see you next week for our next episode. And I will be there as well. Until then, we bid you a very fond farewell, folks. So long. Bye. Okay? They can all be fucking French. Pronounce your name the way it's spelled.